0: What's up, everybody? Ben Cruz here, the head of content at Vover, and I'm here to tell you about my show over on Vover, One and Done. The concept of One and Done is very simple. One guest, one question, one answer. That's it. We're looking to bring you the best guests and the best questions on every show, which will lead to the best answers. Some of my most recent guests include the creator of HBO's Entourage, Doug Ellen, one of the stars from HBO's Insecure, the always hilarious Yvonne Orgy, and a Twitter legend himself, Josiah Johnson, a.k.a. King Josiah, and much more. The show leans into our short-form format. Most shows are about 15 minutes, so if you don't have a full hour or two but want that quick podcast fix, check out One and Done with us over at Vover on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keila Cash and I'm back today alongside my co-captain, my right-hand man, and Von Wagner's best friend, Scott Young. Welcome back to the show, per the usual
0: real excited uh, the we the, you know we we got the we got we're gonna give out we're gonna give out some awards today and i'm I'm really excited about it. Uh, the first edition of the rap, uh, the von Wagner fan Club has started off, I think fantastically. We've got a lot of members. this is uh this is great. I, I think it's been a great week since our our O to Vaughn.
1: Yes, great buzz off that show. Our old The Roast of Von Wagner was a big hit around these parts. And we're going to try to duplicate it today via the first annual Rap Awards, which will jumpstart this show. But before we get into it, we got a third guy in the chair, per the usual as well. He's been on the show before. I really liked him on the show. had a great voice, great thoughts on WWE from the Fight Game Media Network and fightgame.com. Fightgamemedia.com. I shall say, as you write articles on the daily for WWE, Stephen Conway is back with us. Welcome back, Stephen.
2: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I'm on awards day, at that, I have my tuxedo on and everything. I'm prepared. <laughs> yes I yes i i assure you it's there right here
1: all right he has a tux on i think scott had an imaginary tux as well tuxedo shirt
2: i, I got the tuxedo shirt
1: <laughs> yes he tucks shirt i have some kind of ballroom gown that you can't see
2: i'm excited but... about my gift basket here this is wonderful <laughs> <laughs> going through all this stuff this is great i didn't get yes. i didn't get a basket
1: who did Scott dirty to not give him a basket? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. The, Von, the Von Wagner T shirt
2: is going straight on, right? As soon as I get <laughs> out of the stuck, oh,
1: going straight on. Oh, the jokes we have, Yvonne. So as I mentioned at the top, we're going to kick off the show with the Rap Award, celebrating the worst and the best of WWE this year, a mix of both. And we all voted individually this past week. We have our ballots filled out. We have the winner selected. We don't know what we picked for who. So it's completely unknown as to who we gave these awards to. So we're going to see who we gave the same award to. And our differences along the way, we should create a lot of debate during this segment so without further ado let's get into the 2021 rap award celebrating the best and worst of wwe and the first category like the wrestling observer newsletter awards i want to start with the b awards the dirt worst awards we can give out first so let's set the tone scott with your worst match of 2021 from wwe and honorable mention
0: so, my worst match from WWE for 2021 is actually a match that, I, you know, I, I, money, money talks. So, this match happened because money talks. And my worst match of the year is The Miz versus Damian Priest. Now, anyone who knows me when it comes to wrestling, sees any of my posts, heard me talk, you know I'm about as big a Miz fan as you'll find. But this match didn't need to happen. Not only was it a bad match. But we had zombies, we had Miz getting injured, and you know this guy never gets injured. So you know this was just a terrible night for this. Like, just just an awful night all around. Um, not to mention he gets eaten at the end. I mean, let's, let's just top it all off. He gets eaten, um, and that's how we, let's not forget, that's how we got Von Wagner, because he was one of those zombies. So I guess it all does come full circle again. But yeah, Miz versus Damian Priest is my worst match of the year.
1: All right, Steven, what is your award winner for worst match of the year from WWE? My worst match of the year came from a very big event. It came from
2: a a very big uh, return, and it has nothing to do with the two participants who were put in a terrible position. I chose this match as the worst match of the year because it managed to derail two different baby faces in WWE that could have drawn money and been start now they still are they still are but this really hurt both of them at the time still recovering from it as we're sitting here doing this podcast my pick for worst match as far as just the decision to have this match the 27 second match with uh, Becky Lynch coming back turning heel beating Bi- Bianca Belair it derailed a eight-month build for Bianca that had turned her into a legitimate draw, a legitimate main eventer, which she should have been, was breathing new life into... A division that was not stale, I'm not trying to say that, but you always have to have new talent in, and it just, it it didn't just put the glass ceiling in with the four horsewomen on top of it and everybody else trying to claw their way up, it dropped a lid down and smashed poor Bianca in the head with it. Just made her look like a chump after an eight-month build that she still hasn't totally recovered from, and it made Becky into a heel that isn't working. And uh, I think just as far as business goes, this was the worst idea of the year and the worst match just to totally derail uh, Bianca Belair's uh, big main event push, uh, which she deserved and was doing well with.
1: Yeah, I got to agree. That was a rough match. It's not my worst match, but it was probably the match I was most angry about because Mm -hmm. of the booking, because I loved Becky. I love Bianca. And for her to lose in 27 seconds was definitely a way to bring down my mood for SummerSlam that night. But my worst match of the year goes to a match that took place on a fateful night on Monday Night Raw a few months ago, featuring the Raw women's champion at the time, Charlotte Flair versus... Nia Jax. This match was a classic case of things falling apart at the seams. A little shoot fighting mixed in. It was not good. The complete lack of professionalism in that match was quite a sight. And I never shook it. My runner up was actually The Miz versus Damian Priest at WrestleMania Backlash and those goddamn zombies. But nothing is quite as bad as seeing a complete breakdown in communication in real time. And Charlotte and Nia Jax trading shoot punches in the ring. Can
0: we just take a minute and talk about how Charlotte Flair really just doesn't care anymore? Like, (laughs) no, I mean, she's just really doing whatever she feels like. And if she gets pissed off in the middle of something, she's like, word, I'm about to just flip this and do it. Let's see if you keep up. Like she's, she just doesn't care anymore. Oh no,
2: no. And the thing is, I keep thinking about this and it's a great point, uh, Scott, that she has, uh, we've seen what Andrade has put, or Andrade El has put on Twitter, on public spaces regarding WWE. Imagine what this guy is saying at home. It's got to be far, far worse. So that's probably what's in her ear all the time. He's not wrong. The booking on that, the whole thing with Ric Flair and with uh, with uh, Lacey Evans was horrendous. She's had to deal with all this stuff. Then she goes home and she hears Andrade El Probably talking about how great it is over at AEW, and I think she is over it. We've been saying this for a while, but I think one foot is out the door, and she's almost daring them. Yeah, please, release me. Jeez, wherever will I find a job?
1: <laughs> yes, she'll land somewhere, and Charlotte makes his list again, and I'll get to that shortly Trust and believe that, and I think Stephen actually alluded to one of those worst moments this year. <laughs> well,
2: but this is this is showing one thing, if, and I, I didn't get my honorable mention, and I wanted to mention it real quick. Uh, the zombie match, absolutely, please, and then for all the other things mentioned. But it's amazing this year that that uh, poor. Uh, B-Fab and Electra Lopez's no disqualification match from NXT didn't make this list. It, there were there were much worse things than that. Imagine that and those poor women who were put in a position to fail without the experience necessary. And they tried to make it a no DQ match so they could have bells and whistles. But in the end, they really shouldn't have been put in that position on television to try to do that match. And that match was rough. That was a rough few minutes to watch poor Electra and B-Fab try to have a match out there that they simply weren't prepared for.
1: No, and that's completely on whoever booked that match. And Mm -hmm. at that moment, episode number three of NXT, I almost question whether or not I should keep recapping and reviewing that show. But I'm not blaming them because they was put in an incredibly bad position. They were not ready for that match. And Dear God Almighty, I couldn't pick it because it wasn't on them. But Charlotte Flair and Nia Jax are two professionals. And to see them completely break down and have a shoot fight, I cannot forgive it because Mm -hmm. it was a mess. And now we go from worst match to the worst moment of the year. That one singular thing that made you say, why do I watch WWE programming? So, Stephen, what is your pick and your honorable mention as to the worst damn thing you saw on WWE television this year?
2: There are far too many instances of this to just pick one or two. So what I'm saying is both for my pick and for my honorable mentions, plural, anything involving the fiend, alexa bliss and the damn superpowers if i had to watch the supernatural garbage of people making others puke up black stuff and lightning and people disappearing and Uh, i that's not what i watch wrestling for it's just not and i i hated every single simpering second of it and i was thrilled when the fiend and bray wyatt or rotunda whatever his name is left wwe and i'm glad it's gone i i I don't he he was okay as a wrestler okay he was okay but once he got into this fiend and the supernatural stuff it made me want to stop watching wrestling basically every time i was on i was like why do i why am i and uh every single instance of it is was uh, a nightmare for me to have to sit through
1: Oh God, I just thought about the quick changes Alexa went through in post-production in the Thunderdome. Mm. The magic. God, it was not my worst moment, but it's it's verging on there because I was angry for several weeks at a time regarding the quick changes she did during her matches against Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. So Scott, what is your worst moment? From, from wwe this year <laughs> this is uh
0: it's it's actually from the same match I, the worst moment of the year is the Miz getting eaten like <laughs> I, like wh- what i i'm this is listen i i'm here to defend them getting you know the, the million dollars for the match and you want to have the zombies out you know i not defend it but like i said money talks i get it that's you get seven figures for putting some zombies out there all right cool but to have that man get eaten, like, you, you put that on the show, like, as a part of the show, like, he legit got eaten. Like, what is that? Like, I just, just a terrible moment. And, again, awful match. Like, worst match, worst moment. This is really pissing me off already that I got to be bagging on The Miz right off the bat. This is This is not good. I'm not happy about this.
1: This makes me so happy that you have <laughs> the shit it on does. the Miz. <laughs> I know it, does. it makes me so elated. Like your hatred for Von Wagner match- matches my disinterest in the Miz. So I'm very happy you awarded him twice with shit moments from WWE this year. Now as for my worst moment. This is kind of out of left field, but it's true because every time I picked up my phone, I saw WWE releases in a stream on Twitter over and over and over again. The one that probably knocked me out the most was they fired people maybe two days after WrestleMania and I'm at the grocery store and I see Samoa Joe got cut. Excuse me. He was in a poncho three days earlier covering WrestleMania and he's gone. So just a stream of releases during the summer before SmackDown, during a SmackDown, just all the cuts made me so sad and depressed as a fan. And now you get to kind of feel the after effects on SmackDown as you have to stretch these segments with commercials and video packages and entrances. Because they don't have enough people to fill out their shows for two or three hours a night. So, it was definitely a bad thing for WWE to cut all these people during a pandemic and double up. It's just a bit much for me. And therefore, that was my worst moment from them for 2021. And now... It is time for the worst feud or storyline of the year. The one storyline that really got on your nerves, that rubbed you the wrong way as a WWE fan. So Scott, who wins this award for worst feud of the year?
0: Oh boy, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was real close to giving The Miz a three-peat right here, not only getting the worst moment and match, but worst feud of the year for him and Morrison versus Damian Priest, but there was one thing, one story uh, that was worse, at least to me, I thought it was absolutely horrendous after years of people asking for it, um, and you know, this company you know, prides itself on the quote-unquote women's revolution. The Queen's Crown is for me the worst story WWE did all year. I, you know, the Fiend stuff was, you know, that, that stuff was bad. That's magic, but magic is, you know, is in wrestling. But that stuff's not good. But I like Randy, so I'm not gonna bag too much on that. I can give it a pass. But the Queen's Crown, like you, you did all, you know, you have all this talented women who could just go out and put matches, and they talk. Like what, I think the total. Match length of the tournament was like 16 minutes, which is absolutely ridiculous. And on top of that, you have Zelina Vega, who might have been the worst worker in the tournament, win the tournament. So she's now the queen, and now she's putting on this, you know, can't keep it together British accent that she's doing. I know it's part of her gimmick, but it sucks, and I hate it, and I'm just not as Zelina fan. So the whole thing just did not work for me, and I think that's the worst thing they've done all year.
1: All right, Steven, the worst storyline of 2021 from WWE.
2: Well, Scott just had an excellent pick, I got to say, but I'm, I'm still going to stick with my Fiend and Alexa Bliss uh, thing. And and for the reason, uh, one of the reasons that he, he didn't pick it in that poor Randy Orton got wrapped up in this thing, too. And, and it, it really killed what could have been some decent matches with Randy Orton. Instead, we got that. So uh, for me, I think I've already stated how much I hate the thing, so I won't go over all that again. But in, the, the Fiend and Alexa Bliss, Randy Orton, wasn't my was not my jam.
1: All right. For myself, something that Stephen alluded to earlier, it's Charlotte Flair, Ric mm-hmm. Flair and Lacey Evans. That melodrama, that thing sucked. And as Stephen mentioned, Charlotte Flair Did not give a single solitary fuck about this feud. Deep down in her soul, she hated it. I could tell via her promos, her work in the ring. She was mentally checked out, and I can tell. And when Lacey Evans was pregnant and the storyline came to an abrupt end, Charlotte Flair breathed a huge sigh of relief. And I'll never forget, there is a playback of the 2020 Women's Warrior Rumble on youtube and i just want you guys to go find it and look at charlotte flair rewatching watching the match she is so lethargic and out of it because i'm in a storyline that sucks i don't want to be at work this is lame and that is checked out in every sense of the word and thankfully Lacey did not beat oscar to win the raw women's championship to take this feud all the way to wrestlemania which would have absolutely positively sucked And now, a special award. After the roast of Von Wagner last week on The Wrap, I only thought it was fair to introduce the first ever Von Wagner Award of Excellence, meaning that someone in WWE needs a total character overhaul. We have hope for them, but they must change their character. They must change their ways to not be a Von Wagner in 2022. This is the reverse accomplishment of shade that you must overachieve heading into next year. So Stephen from the WWE roster, Who is your Von Wagner of 2021 and tell them, please don't be him next year.
2: (laughs) Well, have someone in mind who is a good worker, who has been in a good character in the past and is in a terrible one right now. It's Nikki Ash, and she is a a good wrestler. When she was with uh, Eric Young, and they were doing the whole uh, kind of the, not counterculture, but they were the the bit of the rebels there in NXT. It was a strong character that worked. Uh, She plays a good psycho chick, and uh, I think that uh, chewing on the ropes (laughs) will work for her. Not everyone can make that thing work, but it did, and then they put her in this horrible superhero costume. Have her act like a buffoon. No one believes in this. The fans aren't into it. And this poor woman who could be doing more, again, I'm not saying she's the next coming of Manami Toyota here, but this is somebody who is... Capable of so much more than running around in a cape and being laughed at and and worse ignored by the fans. And I I think Nikki is the one that needs the biggest character makeover. Hopefully the storyline is leading to one. But that's my pick as someone who is just uh, in a character that is the wrestling equivalent of charismatic quicksand.
1: All right, Scott, I know you've been waiting for this moment, this entire episode thus far, and Von Wagner is your best friend. And you must make the best decision to say, please don't be a Von Wagner next year. So who is your unfortunate winner of the first ever Vons? So,
0: uh, so, you know, first off, shout out to my guy, Von, you know, big, big V big daddy V over there. So shout out to him. Um, so my first ever Recipient of the Vaughn. uh, you know, you got the Dre, you got the Diamond Battle Royal, uh, you know, you got the G One winner, and we got the Vaughn. So it's 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 prestigious. This is a prestigious award. This is up there with Superstar of the Year. Matt, like, it's right there. Um, but from so for me, I got two heels, my honorable mention and my pick. Um, two heels who I think could actually be top baby faces with a quick. Uh, quick tweak of their characters uh, The first, my honorable mention was Mustafa Ali I think that guy could be a top tier baby face he showed it a couple times he was on the verge of breaking out as a baby face when Daniel Bryan was champion a few years ago before he got hurt then we ended up getting Kofi Mania and they've really never got behind Ali since that. So he's a guy I think could really, um, he's a guy I think could really do a lot, but my actual winner is going to be Sami Zayn. I think Sami Zayn as this, you know, conspiracy theory heel, it's, it's, it's over with. I think we gotta, we gotta cut our bait with that. And I think he needs to go back to being a face. Uh, Kevin Owens is going back to being a heel. So let's go ahead and put Sammy back to being a babyface. And I think Sammy Zayn, at this point in his career, and his WWE career with, you know, just the tenure he's built up. People look at him as a veteran guy now in WWE. I think he could have a really strong babyface run if they got behind him and really just built him up as this underdog cut the hair go back to that 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 white me baby face from nxt and i think he could really get that over now so uh my first recipient
1: of the bond is sammy Zayn. All right. And before I give my pick, I think we got to go on a bit of an intermission because if you like listening to this show, I hope you do, and every show that drops on the daily right here on the free tier of the Fikin Media Network, we have a Patreon called Fikin Media Network Plus, where you get four additional shows every single day, recapping all things Retro Monday Night Raw with John LaRocca and Gigi. We got the Dynamite Show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins. We got Brace for Impact with J.D. Oliver and Mike Gilbert and the five-star Joshi Podcast with scott edwards plus from us moving forward you would get at least one bonus show a month probably the warrior rumble coming your way sometime in january right before the actual rumble towards the end of this month and so much more content via patreon.com backslash fight game media for five dollars a month i repeat five dollars a month for everything observe this and every other bonus show in between for your listening pleasure so please sign up today via patreon.com backslash fight game media And with that, it's now time for me to give my first Vaughn of all time to someone that I really like from his days on NXT, a guy that I want to have his first name back, my boy, T-Bar. I love me some T-Bar, I truly do. And he was a part of that damn retribution that absolutely sucked last year. They had my boy eating steaks to build up his mass and get bigger. And he didn't look right. He was not as agile and flexible before. But he's trimmed back down back to regular size Dijakovic. And I want this guy to remove the face paint, be the badass he can be on Monday Night Raw. Feud against Damian Priest for the US Championship. Give Finn Balor a run for his money. Just be a difference maker on this Monday Night Raw show that desperately needs somebody of his caliber to stand out in the best possible way. So T-Bar, my boy, Dominic Dijakovic, don't be a Von Wagner in 2022. Just simply be yourself.
0: Dijakovic, you know, that's a guy, because I really like that pick, because not even even if you don't want to push him to the moon, he's a guy, if you just give him a couple, couple small victories, like people will just believe in him and you can use him to build up other baby faces. So I, I like
2: that pick a lot. I think he's vastly underutilized. That's a terrific pick, and he could be another Cesaro in there where at least when he comes in, you're like, oh, this is going to be a really good match. If they would give him the opportunity to do it, I agree that he should get more than that. He should be pushed, but uh, this is a guy that really uh, should be in a much better position than he is. Just too talented to be doing this garbage.
1: Agreed Every time he show flashes Of what he used to do in NXT I smile Then I get depressed Because it doesn't last Very long So he was hoping They try to write The course with him Because he does Have great ability And as flashy offense That would really Pop the crowd Which makes me yearn For Keith Lee And Dajakovic In a WWE Mm. ring But they botched That so fuck off So (laughs) Gotta say, I, that still bothers me because if you want a way to wake up the crowd, give them Keith Lee versus Dijakovic. Mm-hmm. Unchained, let them loose. That's how you get a crowd to give a damn. But you know what? I'm not in WWE. I don't book the matches. I simply talk about them right here on The Wrap. But let's get to the good stuff shall we we have now gone through the negative aspects of WWE this year now it's time to have a little bit more fun as we get into a fun category I call so fresh so clean that you show up to work looking good feeling good feeling yourself in your best fit that that what you wear really says a lot about yourself and I gotta say there has been some stylish people in WWE this year one stands out in particular but Scott tell me your pick for best dressed so Fresh, so clean for 2021.
0: So my pick for the best dress, so fresh and so clean. Uh, my honorable mentions are MVP and Bobby Lashley. I couldn't decide who I liked more, especially when they really clean up because them, them boys be looking fly. Um, I actually really like the whole Hurt business when they all dressed up. I think that whole ensemble just looks so clean, uh, but they, they kept those two together. So I'm gonna just go with those two. My actual pick is somebody I just can't stand right now but she is always clean she always dresses fly and she always dresses like a boss and no not Sasha Banks but Sonya Deville i think she just has a great sense of style man her i love her suit game like her her suit game is on point. They talk about Seth being the drip god. She the drip goddess and she don't even try. I I love her. I love how she dressed. I love her whole swag and everything about her. Just can't stand her character.
1: (laughs) All right, Steven. So you're so fresh. So clean award winner for best dressed in WWE.
2: Well, it's again, uh, Scott and I are thinking in, similar, uh, in uh, similar ways here. I thought MVP looked good every single time he put on a suit and walked on that set and run. And I love his promos. There's a lot of things about MVP that I really like and enjoyed this year. But those suits, man, I, I wish I could spend a day of my life looking that good in one of those suits. That would be uh, that would be a good day for me. And it's not going to happen. But so he's my pick. My now my honorable mention goes to a woman that uh, was in uh, my honorable mention for worst match. And I think it's because. It's Electra Lopez, because when she puts on the trench coat and the hat, she can cosplay Carmen San Diego better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And I played the hell out of those Carmen San Diego games. And so every time she walks in there, I say, oh, it's Carmen. It's Carmen. There she is. So a uh, little uh, bit of a uh, backup uh, mention for her there. She's my honorable mention.
1: All right, my best dressed. My honorable, my honorable mention was actually Seth Rollins because despite how outlandish he dressed, he never missed. You always had something to say about Seth's fit. But my winner goes to Bobby Lashley. Every day was Easter Sunday for Bobby Lashley this man was cast it sharp every single Monday never missed in terms of styling in terms of the color pattern everything Bobby wore was great alongside Deacon MVP yeah the collection place ready to go and it was always church on Monday Night Raw so up until the breakup of the Her Business everybody looked good in that crew but Bobby Lashley every week he understood the assignment to look his absolute best before whooping ass accordingly
0: it seems like we all agree that the you know the hurt business pretty much was the best dressed all year in some yeah. iteration the hurt business was the cleanest looking
1: yes i will say legato the fantasma were also like sharp sharps.
0: Yes, i agree mm-hmm. especially as a group yes
1: yes they were like if you had like a suit battle between legato and the hurt business it would be like a great battle because it will always sharp every single tuesday and monday night and now we must get to our pay-per-view of the year finally we're free from the thunderdome and we're back to pay per views. so maybe something in the thunderdome was pretty good for you guys this year but steven tell me who is or what is your show of the year for wwe
2: my favorite wwe show was nxt vengeance day This had three matches on it that I thought were absolutely over-the-moon wonderful. It was Finn Balor against Pete Dunne in a terrific hard-hitting match. You had MKS over the Grizzled Young Veterans. Fabulous tag team match. Four guys that really know how to do it. And then Johnny Gargano versus Kushida, which in my mind was a bit of a dream match, being an old uh, New Japan fan. So the idea of those two going at it, and uh, once they did, it was... What I was hoping for. So for those three matches, all on one show that uh, only had I think about five, maybe six matches. I'm not even sure there was a sixth. Uh, NXT Vengeance Day was the one that I enjoyed from uh, start to finish the most. NXT had some really really strong takeovers as always before this change, but uh, Vengeance Day uh, was my top pick.
1: Yeah, that was a great show. Kashida and John Gargano. That was a great match. Very New Japan in nature. I loved it as well. Oh, good memories. But I digress. Scott, your pay-per-view of the year from WWE.
0: So my pay-per-view of the year, my honorable mention actually goes to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view Uh, I I really enjoyed that pay-per-view because for a couple of reasons. One, I thought the main event, Roman Reigns versus Edge, was really good. There was actually a little bit of drama behind the match. At least for me, I thought there was a possibility they could give Edge the win there uh, just to continue the build. Um, And then you got the big return, you know, you get the, the the big John Cena pop like that's that's a moment. That's a moment that's gonna stand the test of time. To because it's I mean, just that reaction was monstrous and thunderous. And you you know, Roman playing to the crowd before that was everything about that was perfect. And even before that, Big E winning Money in the Bank, which goes on to set up him winning the WWE Championship. Uh, Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley that's an underrated match I know people don't like the outcome but that match itself they those two put on really good matches together um so I just think that pay-per-view had a lot of big moments and those matches were good and then my pay-per-view of the year I'm actually sticking with WDB and I'm going or the main roster as well and I'm going to go with SummerSlam I just (laughs) it just had a huge feel to it and I I'm a sucker for moments. I, I like matches matter, like the match quality matters, but you're going to remember moments, I feel like more than you're going to remember matches. And at least for me and the the matches were good. Like John Cena versus Roman was a good match. Uh Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair not a good match, but the big moment of Becky returning and we're going to see how this plays out. It hasn't gone too well so far, but it kind of seemed like a SummerSlam seemed like a bit of a here uh, this is our new chapter. this is the new direction we're going. Brock Lesnar coming back, big return. Uh, Edge versus Seth Rollins was a fantastic match. So there's there, I mean there was a lot of good on that card and it was probably it's probably been outside of uh, the Saudi Arabia show, which I'm not going to include on here for a best of list. It's probably the best match quality pay-per-view they had on the main roster. So SummerSlam for me gets that nod
1: All right. As for myself, I got to go with Scott, not SummerSlam, but his honorable mention, Money in the Bank, the first actual show outside of WrestleMania with fans back. It was a great show. Nikki Ash wins the Money in the Bank briefcase. I wasn't happy about that, but I was very happy about Big E winning. I thought that Roman Reigns versus Edge was very strong. Set up so many feuds heading into SummerSlam with John Cena's return and Seth Rollins going after Edge as well. And just the atmosphere that night was special. And as you mentioned, Scott, Charlotte Flair. versus Rhea Ripley, probably had the greatest match recovery of the year. Fans chanting, we want Becky, Charlotte says, kiss my ass, fuck you. I'm going to give you a show. And granted, they turn those fans around to their side to chant, this is awesome. I got to give credit when it's due, even though I wanted Rhea to win. It was a great match, a fantastic recovery to get fans back on your side. To say fans are back two days in post-pandemic, but now things go a little shaky right now. We got to appreciate the fans while we have them, but they definitely elevated Money in the Bank this past July. My honorable mention goes to night one of WrestleMania. It rained for about half an hour, but I loved Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. Bunny Mania was crazy with Bad Bunny. The proper Bunny Mania, not that player shit from all those years ago. The proper. Bad Bunny Mania, and of course, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks, headlining WrestleMania for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And they might be brought up again later in this show. But let's talk about the guilty pleasure of the year. The one thing that you know you shouldn't have liked, but you end up liking anyway because it was too good to resist. So, Scott, what was that guilty pleasure from WWE that made you feel guilty but warm and fuzzy on the inside?
0: So for me now this this is where I get happy this is where I get excited. I'm really excited to hand this award out. Um especially and, and Keila I know you're really going to be excited about who I hand this award out to as well. My guilty pleasure is the Miz becoming WWE champion. I absolutely loved every single second of his short two week reign. It was it was awesome to quote the great man himself, Mike. Um, and, and let me just say, he was the perfect guy for Bobby Lashley to beat for the title because there was not a lot of people at that point with Lashley that you would have cheered Lashley just making submit and toss around like a rag doll. But The Miz, The Miz is that guy. So my guilty pleasure, and nothing else even came close. Nothing else even came close when it came to a guilty pleasure. My boy Mike The Miz becoming WWE champion in another decade. In a different decade. That's my guy. My guilty pleasure, Mike The Miz. Shout out to The Miz, WWE
2: champion. Boy, listen to that ovation. I can barely hear you. (laughs)
1: I tried so hard to hold that in and I just couldn't anymore. Oh man. Um loved every I, every minute of his two week reign. 2 weeks of hell for me. <laughs> two miserable awful weeks. And I endured and I was very happy when Bobby Lashley beat his ass in about a minute flat to win the WWE championship. He was honestly the greatest transitional champion of all time. So thank you, Miz, for that. And Scott, I cannot believe I allowed you to talk for two (laughs) minutes about the Miz. But you are my co-hosts. We're equal partners here and I'll allow it. But never speak that man's name again. We'll see how much of it
0: actually makes the show.
1: I'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting room floor. I'll, I'll scrub it from the broadcast. But in all seriousness, not a bad pick. So, Stephen, it's your turn. What is your guilty pleasure from WWE this year?
2: Well, I want to name one that has been brought up earlier today. And it's just because someone that I really like and really enjoy was getting some camera time and microphone time. And it is conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. I'll try to get that in English. Sami Zayn. And... I did get a kick out of the guy, he is so likable, even as a smarmy heel, that I did kind of enjoy seeing him try to twist and turn all these things into the company trying to hold him back. It's something that uh, I, I got a kick out of. I enjoyed seeing him on TV. I enjoyed seeing him get a little bit of time there. I would be perfectly happy if they took him more seriously and had him in uh, a more prominent position, but it's uh, a lot better than seeing him uh, getting cut or uh, not being featured at all, which has certainly happened to him in the past. So I'm glad he had something. I kind of got a kick out of it, and uh, and I enjoyed it. I hope there are bigger things ahead for him, uh, wherever that may be. If he re-signs with WWE, if he leaves, uh, I just think the guy's ridiculously talented and, and one of the single most likable people uh, in uh, in the business so uh, I, I I enjoyed that and I root for bigger things for him in the future my honorable mention is one that I shouldn't have liked at all I don't really like the production numbers I don't like cinematic matches it's not my thing I mentioned the whole Alexa Bliss and the, the fiend thing but this I gotta admit the uh, the dexter Loomis uh, bachelor party skit cracked me up I, I just kind of I just got a kick out of the idea of dexter Loomis, teaching johnny gargano how to throw an axe properly and how to ride go-karts and then with the zombie referee and it was it was stupid it was ridiculous and i was kind of giggling all the way through it so i said i got to give credit where it's due that entertained me
1: all right so you're leaning into my guilty pleasure which is index from nxt Andy Harwell and Dexter Loomis. I loved everything about the storyline from beginning to end. The wedding, my goodness, to do threaten everybody with an axe to say, if you don't say anything, <laughs> I won't kill you. It was outstanding. Flashing that axe, I had tears in my eyes from laughing so hard. The bachelor party was tremendous. The honeymoon with the condoms rolling like <laughs> tape, was it was incredible. Gag. That was a good gag. I just loved everything about the relationship. A well thought out storyline for NXT. Two people. That actually had chemistry and it popped off on screen. At first, I thought they didn't want to kiss each other, but eventually they did and they sort of relationship properly. And I thought this was a nice, nice way to keep me hooked on Tuesday nights. I did love dancing Sami Zayn as well. That was another treat this year on SmackDown with the shimmery jacket and he's doing the little dance. And everybody made memes of him dancing different types of music. I love that as well. And my other get to pleasure, an honorable mention of a guy that I miss very much on my TV, who's who's still there every single week, unfortunately. But I really miss broke-ass Baron Corbin. That dude was the best. This man was committed. Bad hair, the spaghetti-stained shirt, broke as fuck. I loved that Baron Corbin. The material that WWE left on the table for this dude is very disappointing. This is when getting money goes wrong, when I prefer you being broke as hell. But all well, at least I have index to fall back on hey you know And that,
0: that Corbin character people forget man he was really getting over when, when they did the contract signing with Finn Balor and Roman Reigns and Corbin came out and knocked Balor out and grabbed that contract there was a nice reaction right there for, for Corbin and like people were legit excited for him to sign the contract Like I, I think there was a baby face right there I think if there was ever a time to turn on baby face that was it they'll never be able to turn on baby face again
1: No, that was an opportunity. And I go back to when KO was on SmackDown as well, and he was actually trying to help Baron Corbin say, Listen, I was a bad guy too, but I learned the error of my ways. I too can help you be a better person. If they played into that longer, it would have been a great storyline. And babyface Baron Corbin actually would have gotten over being broke as fuck, but they decided to give him back his money. And look what we have, which I'll get to later on in this show. But let's talk about the best moment of the year, the singular moment that made You feel really good as a WWE fan Brought a smile to your face Gave you so much joy and happiness So Scott, what was that one moment of the year That says this is wonderful Wondrous times to be a fan
0: So I I already mentioned my honorable mention Which was John Cena making his big return At Money in the Bank I just, that reaction was incredible I, I, I get goosebumps every time I watch it Just a huge reaction And it unfortunately it's kind of telling that like (laughs) you don't hear reactions like that unless it's from a John Cena or a Brock Lesnar like there are just levels to this game and you can see that he is levels above and when you have a guy like that come back like just I love reactions like that when the crowd just goes nuts and they just continue to go nuts and continue to go nuts and it never stops so I love that but my uh my moment of the year, and uh, Keila, you mentioned it with one of your with one of your matches, I believe, but it was uh, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, two black women main eventing WrestleMania, closing the show out, and you could just tell how important, how big of a moment it was from the opening bell when Bianca Belair just starts crying, and the emotions just get the better of her, and. It added so much to the match because it just made the match feel that much. Like, you could feel how special it was. The crowd got behind them. The crowd started cheering when they saw it. You could tell this was special for them, too. They were closing out the show. You opened with Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre, and you closed with these young ladies. Not only that, you crowned a new champion. You created a new star. I said it when it happened. Bianca Belair is a star. Now, she may have been derailed a little bit, but she's so talented. She's so talented. She's She's going to get right back on track and that train's going to keep rolling. But this moment right here, this is a moment that will live on forever. Like this is one of those game changing moments. The triple threat with Becky Charlotte and Ronda Rousey was iconic for being the first, you know, women's main event to close it. This is on a completely, this is on a different level. Uh, This is two black women main eventing and closing out the show. Like that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. I and mean, because when you think about it, we ha- we've never had two black men, you know, main event or WrestleMania. So th- this is groundbreaking, an incredible achievement, and it couldn't happen to two better ladies. So that's my moment of the year. And th- as great as the John Cena thing was, nothing else even came close.
1: Absolutely. Steven, what's your pick for best moment of the year for WWE? My pick for best moment
2: is the same as scott's it was absolutely bianca belair and sasha banks main eventing a night of wrestlemania it was wonderful it, it felt good the match was fantastic not only were they doing something historic they absolutely came through and had one of the better matches of the year male or female i enjoyed the hell out of that match so not only did they get that main event spot but they stepped up and showed that they deserved it, which I didn't doubt in the first place. But it can be a tough moment. It can be a difficult thing to do. You're going to be compared to a lot of great matches. And I think they did exactly what they needed to do. They had a fantastic match. And it uh, it was the best moment of the year for me. That My runner-up is from the exact same night, and it's from the first match. And I only say that because... There were fans back for the first time. And that felt wonderful. And I know it wasn't a full stadium. It couldn't be, it wasn't allowed to be. But just seeing people in the seats cheering and they were happy to be there, even though the weather was bad. They were making all the noise that they could make. And after months and months in empty buildings and in Thunderdome, which WWE did the best they could. And I think the Thunderdome was a big step forward for them as far as making it feel like a live event again, instead of just a match in a warehouse, which is they, they did what they could do. No one could really foresee all this stuff, but having fans back just felt good. And it was, uh, you know, good moments are few and far between sometimes with the way this virus has been going, but. Seeing everyone out there cheering, holding up their signs again, uh, it just kind of gave me a little chill when I needed one, and I enjoyed that moment uh, quite a bit, just seeing the people.
1: Great picks. As for myself, it's Bianca Belair related. My best moment goes to Bianca Belair winning the 2021 Women's Warrior Rumble. I was incredibly emotional when she won. I screamed. I was like excited because for two plus years, I have been waiting for Bianca Belair to win the big one dating back to take over New York against the Oshariah. Kyrie Sane and Shayna Baszler in that Fatal Four Way match for the NXT Women's Championship, and when Bianca Belair hit the double K.O.D. on Sane and Io Shirai, I thought that was it, and it wasn't it, and I was very disappointed. And ever since then, she was ever so close to winning and falling short. And finally, she had one great night, and when she got down on her knees and she cried. I cried. And when you elicit that kind of emotion out of me, which I rarely do for anything as a fan, unless it's really good emotional shit, you've done your job. And that for me was my moment of the year. Her her winning that Warrior Rumble. In a Thunderdome, nobody there, but you felt the love on social media. You felt the love wherever you were watching this pay-per-view because she made it special. And as for my runner-up, it's John Cena's return at Money in the Bank. That pop he got unanimous love from fans who would have thunk that five or six years ago that was a moment and pat mcafee had the line of the show it's john cena and pat mcafee says (laughs) where that
0: was great (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was great it popped michael cole and that was like the way to sell cena's return those fans gave him so much love and this dude was a ticket mover for wwe he was really the summer of cena in every sense of the word and i just loved his return so much and i miss him still he'll be back sometime between now and wrestlemania season but check out peacemaker on hbo max no we did not get paid for this plug
0: Hey Steven, I, I want to go back to one thing you said about the Bianca Sasha match because I I don't think that's talked about enough. Is not only did they have all the you know these this big moment, but they knocked it out the park. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that because anything less than a classic, and I think people would people would be able to say this was a disappointment. And they were able to deliver a classic where no one could say anything about this match. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because without that match being as good as it was, that moment wouldn't feel as big as it was. Not, to, not saying the moment wouldn't feel big, but because the match was so good and the crowd was able to just get invested and keep elevating and elevating, the, the way they kept you know building the match, I think that added so much to it. So I'm really glad you brought that up because being able to not only meet the expectations but exceed them is a big part of that.
2: Absolutely.
1: All right. Next up is our breakout star of the year—that one star in WWE that you did not see coming, but they broke through in a big way. So, Steven, who is your breakout star of 2021?
2: Breakout star is uh, well—it's—it's—it's it's, it's in the name. It's in the name. It's Braun Breaker, isn't it? It's the. This yes. is a guy that uh, no one even knew uh, of was really in the system at the beginning of the year. I don't think there were too many people that even had their eyes on him, and. Just about everybody that looks at this guy just thinks, well, we're going to be watching him main event WrestleMania in a few years. And I still feel that way. I I think that he has uh, really done... A phenomenal job. He's uh, connecting with the audience. He has ridiculous amounts of charisma. He's strong, and uh, he just seems to have it. Whatever it is, he seems to have it. And for me, uh, this was the easiest category yet. It's uh, it's it's absolutely Braun Breaker. Bra- Braun Breaker. Right? They got to change that name, boy, don't they? I'm going to keep <laughs> tripping over. It. Should be Rex Steiner anyway, dog on it. But uh, maybe they'll figure that out. But that's a easy pick for me. This is the easiest category the whole time.
1: All right, Scott, your breakout star of the year. Is it two for
0: two? So my, my breakout star of the year, I I was a little torn on this because, you know, you some might say that they, they've kind of already broken out, but I, I felt like this year these two kind of, they took their status to another level. And so my, my honorable mention is Matt Riddle. I think he really kind of elevated his stock a lot this year because they slotted him in just about every spot on the card. He was, you know, he would open, he would main event, he was doing tags. And I think he did a good job in every spot. And I'm going to be honest with you, and people may may think I'm crazy about this, this feud or this story with Randy Orton. It's gonna. Obviously, everybody knows it's gonna lead to Riddle versus Orton. But I think Matt Riddle comes out of this as a main event guy going forward. Like I, I think they see him as a main event guy, and I think that this whole thing is building towards him becoming that guy. So Matt Riddle, I think, really elevated himself this year. But the person, or the person, I think, elevated themselves to a different level the most was Bianca Belair. And I know she took a little bit of a step back with the Becky Lynch loss, but between winning the Rumble and uh, becoming the champion at WrestleMania and getting a WrestleMania moment and then having a really dominant and good reign up until Becky. Um, I, I think she elevated and cemented herself from being a, a a a woman with a lot of potential, a lady with a lot of potential, to being this wrestler who's main event ready and main event status. So, I think for me, my breakout as far as elevating themselves would be Bianca Belair.
1: All right. I got to lean in with Steven here and agree with him by picking Braun Breaker as my breakout star of the year. This dude came out of nowhere, as he mentioned. He was at Kennesaw State being a great running back. And then he gets to come here to WWE after being cuffed in the pack of the squad of the Baltimore Ravens to really make a splash at the P.C., And the one good thing Vince McMahon did during his walkthrough at the PC was discover that he has a big badass unicorn underneath his nose right there playing his day. A 20 year generational talent that you only find ever so often in this business. He is going to be a Wrestlemania main eventer. He is going to be a big time star. He is going to be something special. And to see his growth in three months on national television has been truly remarkable to see. As For my honorable mention, it goes to Damian Priest on Monday Night Raw, U.S. Champion, because I think he is probably the third or fourth most protected man in WWE. He has not lost a singles match so far. That is a damn miracle when it comes to main roster WWE booking. So congratulations to him. They see something in him as a single star. Not a big fan of the split personality as of late, but you do see value in him based on how WWE books him on their TV shows. And now it is time for the best feud of the year and or storyline. The one storyline in WWE that is expertly told from start to finish. Something you connect with as a fan saying this is money. This is something you can latch on to and say I can't wait to see that match. I can't wait to see these promos on Monday Night Raw or Smackdown. Maybe NXT as well. That one thing that keeps you hooked as a WWE fan every single week. So Scott, what is your feud and/or storyline of 2021?
0: This was actually really hard for me. Um, I, I and it was down the two. I got it down the two. That was pretty easy. But then just deciding between the two, and um, it was really between Roman Reigns, his just entire Universal title Tribal Chief run, this story that we're on right now, and it was RK Bro. I, I think what they've done with Matt Riddle and Randy Orton has just been a lot of fun and. It's Randy. I think you could tell Randy Orton's having a blast with it. He's able to really kind of let loose a little bit with Riddle. They have good chemistry when they're backstage skits. I think their in ring chemistry is really good. They've put on good matches. So I, I, I think for me it's going to be RK bro. You know, obviously I'm a little biased because I'm a Randy Orton guy, but. This story has been really good and I think they've told a good story with those two of Riddle having to earn Randy's respect and Randy not only giving the respect but really buying into this team I mean listen to him talking about it we have to keep these tag titles we 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 know Randy's an I I I type of guy Um, so this is this is uh I, I really like this story and I, I'm really excited for when Randy Orton does eventually snap and just beat the bricks off of Matt Riddle because it's gonna be great and Riddle's gonna show some fire that he hasn't shown yet, and I'm I'm just really excited for where this is going. So RK bro for me.
1: All right, Steven, your best feud of the year. For me,
2: it's the feud that has dominated the second half of the year, and it's the Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, Roman Reigns saga. I think all three guys have been tremendous and 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 scott you talked about how randy orton seems energized by the entire angle with rk bro and it's true he does look like he's having fun i haven't seen brock lesnar this into something in so many years that i'm really having a hard time trying to remember when he looks like he's enjoyed something this much he is having a great time he's performing wonderfully his promos have been terrific his whole interactions with Heyman, even with the backstage reporters just hitting that little thing, you talk to my advocate, Paul Heyman, and he's hitting these lines in ways that he always seems bored in the past. He's enjoying it. Roman Reigns has been fabulous all year long this heel run is exactly what this man's career needed. He's going to have a monster babyface run in him again someday that the fans are actually going to be behind because that pendulum swings far in each direction and he's right now a fabulous heel and that's going to swing back the other way someday and make WWE a good chunk of change. The Usos been fabulous in this role as henchmen. They're terrific. Their matches are good. They their timing is excellent. They are terrific uh, lackeys for for Roman. And Haman is the MVP of all of this. Just the way that he looks so deeply uncomfortable in dealing with Roman, dealing with Brock, playing both sides. We're still, even after what happened last night, we're not totally sure that he's actually with Paul Heyman, but we know Roman thinks he might be. It's still intriguing. It's still interesting. It's going to go all the way to Mania, maybe past that. I'm in. I'm in. I loved it. I, I think it's been the best thing on WWE television this year.
1: So I'm gonna take a pen. I'm gonna co-sign everything Steven just said. <laughs> the winner is the bloodline. It's Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar, the Usos, all of it intertwined together. This is my favorite storyline in or freedom in WWE this year. It has been exquisitely told. Brock Lesnar, as you mentioned, Stephen, is on fire as a baby face. Roman Reigns, the best heel in the business today, in my estimation. You got Paul Heyman, he's a great actor, a great promo, and you just don't know which way he's gonna swing in terms of who he's really behind at the end of the day and the usos think about jimmy he's the one eating losses in his tag team one day he might be you know given the chopping block because roman does not like losers in his family so all of this is a great big umbrella storyline, line the best damn thing in wwe going today and Roman Reigns one day will be a fantastic babyface with that edge. You love so much. And to just think seven years ago, almost this dude was despised and this feud heading into WrestleMania 31 was reviled. And now this is easily the hottest ticket in Atlanta for a day one. And I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in a couple of weeks time at the first pay-per-view of 2022. And now the last two categories, big ones here, Match of the Year. The one match that gave you goosebumps, that gave you chills in every sense of the word. So, Stephen, what is your award winner for Match of the Year?
2: My Match of the Year uh, does come from NXT. It even comes from NXT UK. And I think I just gave away exactly which one it was. August 22nd, Ilya Dragunov against Valter for the NXT UK title. This is the match all year that felt like you were watching two guys fight. And it had intensity. It had twists and turns. It had a build to it. Uh, Walter just has this presence about him. He doesn't have the great body, but you actually believe that this man could beat up any human being alive, and Dragunov is just this fireplug that just never stops. He's got this small Terminator thing going where you think if you chop the guy's legs off, he'll crawl to you on stumps. And that entire match was just these two guys beating the living hell out of each other, and you believe they were mad at each other. You believe that they were trying to hurt each other. You believe that Walter was doing everything everything he could to destroy this little pest and he couldn't do it and you believe that Dragunov was absolutely throwing himself against a titanium wall yet he still broke through and in the end he overcame and after that incredible match they had on NXT UK he got over the hump It was a deeply satisfying finish. It was a well-performed match by both men. It took a lot out of each. They gave everything they had. The crowd was living and dying with it. I was living and dying with it. I love this match. My favorite thing I watched on WWE all year.
1: All right, Scott, what is your match of the year? So that
0: was my, my honorable mention. And I I can't really add much to what Steven said. He he laid that out perfectly. Um, and, and they had some great callbacks to their first encounter as well. So I, I I really loved that match. And there were times where it just seemed like Walter was just slapping the hell out of him. Like, dude, why won't you just stay down? Like, I, I'm, I'm beating the hell out of you. And you just keep getting up. Um, so, yeah, that was just a fantastic match. Can't say enough about it. Um, my match of the year, though, is it's probably the triple threat. Uh, WrestleMania night two, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, and Edge. And that may shock some people, but you know, there is something about, you know, not only, you know, Daniel Bryan being in another main event at WrestleMania, Edge being in a main event at WrestleMania, but all three of these guys had their careers ended because of something, you know, because of an injury, and they were all able to come back from that. And there is something kind of special about that. There's something kind of magical about that to see these three kind of going at it. And there was a little bit more of a sense of urgency than you normally see out of a match, especially a Roman Reigns match. You know, lately we they're a little bit slower. They kind of build a little bit. This one had a little bit of a, a faster pace, and I think the triple threat helped and there uh, hey that closing sequ- or that closing image of roman reigns smashing and stacking them boys on top of each other for the pin that's a rain- a wrestlemania you know picture that they're going to show forever like that's going to live on in infamy a-, a wrestlemania stack for the win like who does that You know, so that's my that's my match of the year is and that almost that was one of the my moments of the year, too, was that stat because that's just like, who does that? But that's my match of the year, the universal title triple threat.
1: And they even made a T-shirt for it. (laughs) That's how great it was. They really did. My match of the year, first up, honorable mention goes to Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks, the main event of night one of WrestleMania, a tremendous SmackDown Women's Championship match, two black women main eventing WrestleMania. Michael Cole said it with his whole chest because JBL doing that pre-show pissed me off saying it's not black history, it's history. I'm like, fuck you. Okay, like bye. But thank you Michael Cole for saying with your whole chest all the emotion. It was a great match. The best of Bianca Belair, the best of Sasha Banks on display. The power, the agility, the athleticism and that hair whip hurt around the world cracking the skin of Sasha Banks. That gave every ooh and off for me and the crowd. That was a WrestleMania moment that will live on forever. As for my actual match of the year, I got to go with Steven once again. It's Elia versus Walter at WrestleMania. But it could have been at a WrestleMania, let's be honest. It was the final NXT TakeOver, TakeOver 36 at the PC I said, was was this the last takeover ever? Most likely it was, but what a way for it to go out with an absolute war for the NXT UK Championship. Both guys delivered beautiful violence. It was brutal. It was physical. The near falls had me, the bruising. Everything about this match was fantastic. Could be the match of the decade if it holds up for the next nine or so years, but this was tremendous from two guys that are from a completely different side promotion, Regarding NXT UK, and they came stateside and delivered an absolute insta classic for that championship. And now it is time for the biggest award of the Rap Awards: the Superstar of the Year—the one star that was simply above everyone else. That one star that was simply better than the rest. That one star that was the top man or woman in WWE for this past year. So, Scott, who is your Superstar of the Year? Von Wagner. No, um <laughs> uh, no, uh,
0: this one, uh, I, I kind of, I was a little bit, t- actually, this one was easy. I, I, I'm not even going to sum up any drama. Roman Reigns was my, my superstar of the year. My honorable mention, though. Now, that one was actually a little bit tougher as far as who that would go to. Um, up until Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair had that as a shoe in for my number two. But my number two now, um, you know, it, it came down to Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley. I think Seth Rollins has just been super solid in everything he's done all year. He's been in some great fuse. He had a great trilogy with Edge. Um, and it, this new drip character has worked really, really well. The Messiah character kind of sucked a little bit, but the drip character I'm really liking. But um, Lashley. Has, he's been that guy. He's had his first reign. He had a really, really good WWE title reign, and I, I just like what they've done with him. They've done a good job of you know actually protecting him. Before him taking those two losses to Big E back-to-back, I, he wasn't losing matches, especially not back-to-back like that, so they've, he got to be Goldberg. A lot of people don't get to do that. He had a really, really good year. Um, But, yeah, I I don't think anybody is coming is competing with Roman Reigns for wrestler of the year, in my opinion.
1: All right, Stephen, who is your superstar of the year for WWE?
2: As Scott said, and I think we've listed all the reasons. So uh, in the interest of time, we'll go over them again. But I also shall acknowledge Roman Reigns.
1: All right, guys, I'm going to have to be the dissenting party here. Okay. You know what? If this was last year, Roman Reigns would win this thing. Hands down. He is my runner up. But with all due respect, I got to give this award to the one and only Bianca Belair, my superstar of the year. Despite that 27 second loss at SummerSlam, she had great feuds against Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, all. Four horsewomen, that is a rare feat, winning the Warrior Rumble, main eventing WrestleMania, being the most authentic promo in WWE, designing all of her shit. You got to love everything that Bianca Belair did this year and winning an ESPY, winning an ESPY alongside Roman Reigns a couple of years ago as well. So to me, she was my favorite star to watch on WWE TV I love Roman Reigns, but I loved Bianca Belair a little bit more because I felt really good watching her matches, no matter the situation, despite 27 seconds from hell.
2: She's a great choice, and and it's it's really been a, a wonderful thing to see her come up because you can see in NXT that she was special. That wasn't in doubt. Seeing her go all the way like she did was, was very satisfying. I do ask this question to both of you, though. Do you feel like Vince McMahon, the only guy whose opinion really counts when it comes to this stuff, is willing to let her break through and get on that plane with Becky, Sasha, and Charlotte because he seems to have this mental block of elevating anyone quite there. They always get there, and then they get beat, and then they get beat, and then they get beat by those people. It's just that one level that he just doesn't, Feel comfortable putting anybody else up there. You think Belair really is the one that's going to get there? Because as soon as Becky came back, boy, she started losing to Becky. Then she lost to Charlotte. Then she lost to Becky again. It, it just—I worry about it. You—you you think that she's really going to just force her way through? I, I, me personally, I think it's just a sharp.
0: Like I think she's at the Sasha level as far as winning and losing matches because Sasha will take some L's you know like they'll they'll be quick to beat Sasha as far as that Becky level and Charlotte level like well, actually I, I might even say Becky's on a different level than Charlotte because I think Becky Becky doesn't take L's like she you know she's not losing Charlotte will take a L every now and then in non-title well actually I think about it, what she's eighteen time champion, so she's lost seventeen times, so she'll take some L's in
2: that too. Um Yeah, she would lose on she would lose the title on Raw and win it back at the pay per view because they got that silly idea that she can't lose on a pay per view going for years and years. But, right. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: But in but to, but to answer your question, I I think she's going to be in like that Oscar range, to be honest with you, where she's right below, but she's still protected to where she can win the title and she can beat them like in a ladder match, a TLC type match. Um, But, you know, I I think she'll be right. I, I don't think I don't have faith that Vince McMahon is going to put her in that four horsewoman tier.
1: I believe she's right, right below it, but I think that she can be an honorary fifth horsewoman alongside Asuka, maybe the six horsewomen of WWE. As I think she is really a great centerpiece for the women's division, and WWE has been over backwards protecting her via these losses a rope hold here it's a dq there it's a lot of weird finishes to protect her sometimes if you just want to let her win let her win but it's wwe booking it's 50 50 through and through but i do believe she is on the almost tier of the four horsewomen but to compete against all of them and to have great matches against all of them at various points this year really speaks well to her future i think she's going to be a bit better than Asuka because despite Asuka's greatness my god the booking last year for that she championship was atrocious no fault of her own no matches at pay-per-views up until WrestleMania that was definitely a choice but I do believe Bianca Belair is going to be fine if the old man has any good sense but we always know that is to be determined let's hope so Yes, so we are done with the awards. Let's dive into the news items of the week. As our top story is Kevin Owens re-signing with WWE. I was pleasantly surprised by this news because we know the word on the street was that contract was running out after the Warrior Rumble next month, but he's re-up with WWE for approximately two to three million dollars a year. So Vince backed up the Brinks truck for KO. Congrats to him. I'm very happy about this news because I mentioned earlier that I have not been a fan of the wwe cuts this year and that they've been extensive they've been excessive and now i start to fill it on these shows every single week commercials video packages entrances interviews more commercials and they have trouble filling time and the biggest thing when it comes to re-upping contracts is you don't want the perception to be that we're cutting people but also we have people that don't want to stay here for those exact reasons i just explained so ko is very comfortable in his role in wwe and mostly he's been able to be himself for the last seven or so years he's had a great push as a top-tier guy former universal champion one of the very few to beat john cena night one in the company via elimination chamber nearly seven years ago and he's able to be himself on the mic above all else and if you can head Vince McMahon, live the tell about it, and you get his blessing, I think you're pretty good with the old man heading into the next few years in WWE. So, Scott, what were your thoughts on KO re-signing with WWE, despite the rumor mill of him hopping potentially to AEW? I got a real soft spot
0: for Kevin Owens. He uh, debuted in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia. I was at the show. I was there live. He debuted there, interrupting John Cena's US title, open, gave him a nice pop-up powerbomb while he still had the NXT Championship. Really cool moment. Um, and I, I think this is absolutely fantastic news because WWE could not afford to lose a guy like that. Kevin Owens is a guy that you can literally put anywhere and he can make it work like you can put this guy in a main event he'll cut one baby face promo you're right behind like he did it with Roman Reigns like that dude lost was could lose three matches and then he would just cut a fiery baby face promo and just show this baby face fire that you can't teach and a lot of guys just don't have but he's got it and you would believe him like you would believe hey maybe he's got a shot this time maybe he could do it this time you know and there's something to that um and then now when he's going back heel if he goes back to that prize fighter like and that's when he was at his best i think he's a fantastic babyface but there's no denying that his prize fighter character where he just goes around just bullying people that's when he was at his best he was always a champion and i think he's about to go back to that very soon going back to a heel he didn't resign for no reason and also everybody can't go to AEW. You know, like, and everybody can't, like, there's no other place to go in the States. Like, he's not going to go to Impact. He's not going to go to MLW. You know, like, there's no other place to go besides WWE and AEW as far as stateside. if he wants to stay here and get paid the type of money that he's worth. And AEW is loaded right now. Like, I mean, look at Adam Cole. Like, they're not doing a lot with him. I think he's about to face Orange Cassidy, which is a cool match, but... I don't want to see Kevin Owens go over there and face Orange Cassidy. I I, I like I'd rather see him where he's at. He's gonna get a good push. Like they don't they take care of him. You mentioned it. They protect this guy. Like they, he's not somebody that just goes around and loses to Shanky. You know, he's not he's not losing to Shanky on TV, at least not yet. So um, I, I'm really happy about this because you just can't afford to lose a five tool player that you can put anywhere and fill any need.
1: Absolutely. So Steven, you wrote an article on Fight Game Media regarding the re-signing of KO to WWE. So what are your thoughts on him re-upping, even though I kind of know them already via reading the article? <laughs> yes,
2: well, and what I wrote in that article is just, this is a guy who WWE was always his endgame. And that's not true of some of the other folks who left, who the art of wrestling is their end game. And, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to not kevin owens philosophy of wrestling but this is a guy who grew up watching wwe specifically wwe up in my in uh, near montreal where he grew up he learned english by listening to wwe programming I, I, like i mentioned there he's mentioned on podcasts. he thought the word slobber knocker was a normal like english phrase that everybody used because he heard jim ross say it so much his son is named after owen hart his Ring name is from Owen Hart, a WWE guy that he watched in WWE and loved in WWE. So the idea of coming up and just having great matches wherever those matches may come, that is what Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan feel about wrestling. It's not just WWE. It's that WWE is one of the places where you can work and go do those things. Kevin Owens' goal, since he was a little kid, was to be a WWE superstar. He has been for the last few years. As Scott mentioned, they've taken care of him well. They have treated him well. Uh, and uh, as Kila mentioned, Vince seems to have a soft spot for him as well, despite not being a classic body guy. Vince seems to like the guy and keeps him in prominent positions. He would have. Been, they would have had to convince him to leave, whereas the others... WWE would have had to convince them to stay, and it's a very big difference. And backing up two and uh, two to three million dollars a year is a hell of a way to tell a guy that you love him. And so uh, he he's staying, and it's probably the correct decision for him.
1: Yeah, and I think it comes down to every experience in WWE isn't a bad one for everybody. And I think you summed it up perfectly, Stephen, in that some people take wrestling as an art form, as you should. And sometimes you got to perfect that art somewhere else besides WWE, who does not call themselves professional wrestling. That's a bad term for them. But... In the system, people love this company in some ways, and I don't blame them. We know the booking can be incredibly shitty sometimes. The cuts can suck. But ultimately, professional wrestling is actors playing a role. And these championships are a prop, and some people are very satisfied with that. They're not after the glamour of being the greatest technical wrestler of all time, and they don't want to be front and center at all times. is a nice perk, but they know this is a job. I'm not using my government name. I'm playing a role on TV. They don't you know, have that kind of agency that you would want to have somewhere else, but people in some cases are fine with that and that's okay and KO has had a great career in WWE and mostly he has been able to be himself there's nothing fake about KO even though when he was getting his ass kicked weekly by Happy Corbin and Matt Capatamos he did it with the best with the best attitude possible and busting his ass and money in the bank and that ladder match a few weeks ago on Monday Night Raw this guy is a thousand percent committed regardless of the assignment regardless of his contract status that's how much of a professional he is and now you have him locked down for a few more years that's great and it also sends a message that yeah we can re-sign people this is not completely a shitty place to work it's also a way to say that we got the money talent cut speed damn we got some change we can kind of give to the right people we want to give it to but here's hoping that KO's new contract is not used in a storyline to say you fired my friends with your big ass contract mm. no 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 yeah, no, no 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 No, sorry, Becky Lynch, your big-ass contract did not fire a bunch of people. I just want to state that for the record. Bad storytelling by WWE, but good news for KO re-upping with WWE. And in a revisit from last week, it is official. Bobby Lashley has been added to the WWE Championship match at day one, much to my disappointment. In terms of storyline, not Bobby Lashley himself, because he's great, and the match should be good, but... After sitting on it for a week and seeing the outcome of Bobby Lashley, noted fighting babyface, running the gauntlet to defeat Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and the WWE champion Biggie to be a part of the semi main event of day one. How do you feel, Steven? Do you feel good about this despite Seth Rollins winning a fucking ladder match to be the only guy to be able to challenge Biggie until he wasn't? I
2: don't expect logic anymore, and I don't get it. So it it works out for both of us. Uh, the the match. I mean, it's 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 fine. The, the match kind of needed something else. I, I I'm not a big fan of triple threats. I'm not a big fan of these multi person matches. I guess I'm more of a classics guy where I, I like the one on one and things, but. Uh... I guess they felt like it needed that one more thing, and uh, I always felt that Owens was in the match to lose the fall anyway, and uh, now it could be either Owens or Rollins, I suppose, that can lose it. So it adds a little bit of intrigue. I feel like they're still aiming toward a Bobby Lashley-Big E clash eventually, but uh, again, like you said, they baby-faced him by having him run that entire gauntlet like that. So the booking's backwards, but we see that all the time. It uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because like you said, Seth should have this all to himself, but it's uh, WWE and they forget things.
1: They forget things very, very quickly, such as Seth Rollins winning a ladder match fair and square to face Big E fair and square at day one. So, Scott, we talked about this last week with Paul Fontaine, sexy OG Paul Fontaine. And do you feel any differently than you did last week regarding Bobby Lashley being shoehorned into this match at day one for the WWE Championship ladder match? Be damned.
0: I actually feel worse. Like, I just don't understand why they can't just have this guy just looming in the background. Like, I don't, I don't understand understand what the issue is with having guys in the background not in the title picture or not in the title match but still in the title picture like everybody who's in the title picture doesn't have to be in the title match and I think that's a problem like why can't we have number one contender matches why can't we have just guys who are already established just In the background, letting them know, hey, I'm watching the match. You know I got next, right? What's wrong with just having Lashley be that guy? You know, like, I I don't understand why he needed to be in this match. And then the way they did it. So now we've had, we've had two guys because Kevin Owens got added to the match on DQ. And then, you know, obviously he's playing the heel and being, he's, he's saying the right things by saying, how could we put him in the match by him getting DQ when that was the same way he did. And his first match, he got in by being DQ'd. And then the no DQ thing comes in. So, and then they tried to the baby, like you said, they tried to baby face him. And then we have MVP come and clip Bobby Lashley's knee. So then it's all just the, so was he just trying to ruse the crowd to get to cheer him before the end? Like it doesn't, It like you said, expecting logic from stuff like this is just asking a little bit too much. And maybe, you know, you just got to kind of accept things for what they are, unfortunately. But I just feel a lot worse. And I just, again, why can't we just have guys in the title picture
2: without being in the title match. And I just want to clarify something earlier. I don't think they were trying to babyface him. I just think they don't understand the difference anymore. I don't think they see that, that he runs through three guys and that the crowd might get behind him for doing that. I think, well, we're telling them he's a heel, therefore they're going to boo him as a heel. They're back. Their their booking has been so backward in so many ways that I don't think they see it anymore. I don't think they were trying to babyface him. They just did.
0: You know, I said it in the Facebook group um, when when this happened. You know, I they must be trying to turn Bobby Lashley because if he's you put him in there against three top tier guys like you said like it's the only again that that's my fault but it's the only logical explanation for him being in a match like that to get into a title match to earn a title match like at least thank god they didn't let him go an hour because if they did he definitely would have got over they would have been rooting for this guy and booing biggie by the end of it so at least they had that type of foresight but yeah they they just it just doesn't make sense what they're doing with him like with with Lashley just just let that guy be man don't ruin that guy after you had a good year building him up
1: and it really boils down to WWE not having a comparable backup plan for Bobby Lashley when he's not around the WWE title scene. Do you have a good feud for him to get into besides feuding over the WWE championship? And another issue that I have is that we have a great feud on SmackDown revolving the Universal Championship, a singular feud with a lot of supporting players, but ultimately it's down to Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. Big E does not have that one singular feud that says, damn, I'm into this. He's got a whole lot of people in the title scene that really don't feel authentic. I kind of felt it with Seth Rollins by himself and KO as well when he kind of shoehorned his way into the match. Justifiably so, because he was framed for something he didn't do. But then you add Bobby Lashley to the mix and I'm like... This doesn't make sense. Bobby Lashley was not needed for this match. Let him be a dominant force in the Warrior Rumble. Let him be a difference maker at WrestleMania. Hell, give him a nice side feud that gives fans a reason to care. T-Bar is not doing anything. Give T-Bar a push against Bobby Lashley. Something compelling to get Bobby away from the title scene. You did the same thing with Drew McIntyre last year over the WWE Championship and he could not challenge for a very long time until Bobby lost the championship and now they're trying to ice Drew McIntyre too. WWE has a problem not getting people besides Randy Orton in good backup feuds post WWE or Universal Championship reign. And now I want to get into a discussion regarding Finn Balor, who returned to the main roster several months ago after a long stint on NXT. And I noticed this from the moment he returned and that Finn Balor is not the same Finn Balor he was on NXT. He was no longer the prince, no longer the badass, no longer the guy that had that edge to him, that had that level of you don't want to mess with me. I'm the guy that's got your number every single time. And he noted during an interview on WWE backstage a couple of years ago that he prefers NXT as Broadway WWE main roster Marvel, very big and splashy, but it really doesn't cater to what he does best as a performer and storyteller. And it's night and day seeing NXT Finn Balor being a champ, being a badass, being in great matches that don't look like anything on main roster WWE. And he comes back. He has a universal championship match against Roman Reigns and an act of God snaps the ropes and he loses thanks to Vince calling God at the 11th hour to make sure Roman Reigns retains that championship even though Finn was in the demon persona and now he's going to be in a feud with Austin Theory and I don't know how this benefits Austin Theory if he loses and if Finn wins it's great but at the same time WWE is trying to do two things at one time that don't make a lot of sense nobody gets over at the end of the day and I don't think that WWE is really utilizing the best of Finn Balor who was great on NXT how in the world can he be more authentic and over in a sea of 200 people at the WWE Performance Center, but can't get that same level of autonomy on the main roster for of thousands every single Monday night, Scott?
0: You know, I, I think with Finn Balor, he he's just he's just there. And they think that he. To me, it seems like they think Finn Balor's Teflon and he can take any loss to anybody, and people will still continue to cheer him at the same level. But the issue is, people want him at a higher level. Like people want him, like you mentioned, at that NXT level. When he came out for his entrance, I was looking real close. Is he going to come? Is he going to start smiling again? You know, is he going to start being that ultra smiley baby face again, which is not the, you know, that's not what we want. Like we want the Finn Balor that we got in NXT. That's why people were excited uh, initially, for him to be brought back to the main roster was because we maybe get to see a different side of Finn on the main roster. You know, there should be he should be able to move up in the card a little bit. He should be able to be in that. He should be in that mix with the Lashleys, the Finn Ballers. Uh, I mean, the uh, Seth Rollins, Big E. He should be in that mix up there. And instead, he, I, I like Austin Theory a lot, and I think he's got a huge upside it's too soon for him to be with Finn Balor. I, I think Finn Balor needs to be getting established right now on the raw brand as uh, arguably your number two baby face right now behind Big E. I, I don't, or actually probably number three, because like you mentioned, Damian Priest has been protected very well, but uh, you know, outside of the champions, he's probably your top baby face. So, uh, or, or, you know, besides edge, but that's he's a legend. So I don't understand why you're not building this guy up to be more. Like I said, everybody doesn't have to be a champion, but you can build guys up to use to get these other guys over. If Finn Balor's winning matches on the one side and Austin Theory's winning, when they eventually do feud and have their big clash, it means a lot more. Finn Balor's just taking L's and Austin Theory is gonna come in there and beat him, it doesn't mean anything because Finn Balor is at that same spot. Finn Balor comes in as that main event player and Austin Theory gets a big win. That's a huge deal. That's a big victory for him. So um, until they figure out and realize that Finn Balor has got to be established and is not not Teflon and can't just continue to lose and mean something when somebody beats him, he's going to be in the same spot he was before he went back down.
1: All right, Steven, what are your thoughts on NXT Finn Balor versus main roster Finn? i think
2: in nxt they understand a little more of what he really is and that's that really good worker who can have those matches like you said that are different they feel a little bit more like strong style matches and my actual like uh excuse me if uh, sasha banks and bianca Belair hadn't happened i think finn balor and kyle o'reilly at new year's evil would have been my runner-up for match of the year i just really enjoyed that match but it looked nothing like anything else that's been on wwe when he goes up to the main roster, I honestly think that the powers that be up there look at him and just think, ah, there's a little baby face that we can beat when we need to. And I don't think they've ever really gotten past that in the last few years. Now, when he first came up, had the universal title, unfortunately had the shoulder injury right there in the match and never really got a chance to shine. Since then, they've kind of moved on from him. And and in the main roster area, you know, the whole, the, the, they're just not into him, that they just aren't. Every single time, he seems to get to a certain point, and then he takes losses after loss after loss after loss, and I agree that this is probably going to be another loss for him against Austin Theory as a way to get Theory over with whatever the hell they are doing with him in these asinine Vince McMahon skits that don't make any sense and aren't getting him over, and all it's doing is diluting Vince's appearances, which is, you know, he shouldn't really be on that much anyway, but that's what we're getting. And uh, it, I just don't think they see him anymore. Maybe they did it first for a little while, but I don't think they see him on that level anymore. They brought him back as a demon and had him lose to Reigns because I think it was the only thing they felt like they could get out of him anymore at a main event level. So, well, the only thing he's got left is that demon thing. We haven't beaten that yet, so let's have Roman beat that. And I think that was it. And I, I think after this, he's 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 a mid-carder in, in the, on the main roster. I don't think they see him as more than that. He They should. I don't think they do.
1: And that's sad. He has so much value. It's very ironic to me. They can say, Finn, I need you to go to war against AEW. Go back to NXT. Go back to full cell. Be over. Be a champion. But when you come back here and mind you, we have the tapes. We have the footage on the network to see how great you are. No, we can't use that Finn Balor. He's not over enough with us. Even though he was more than over for you to send back to NXT to feud with AEW. But I... We'll move on from that. It's just, oh, goodness, you got a guy. And I'm not saying give him the championship, but he can be a guy that can be a top-tier babyface on your show with credibility and the in-ring talent to boot. But they don't see it, and that's unfortunate.
2: No, and you see the difference between the philosophy of NXT, and it's different now. I know NXT 2.0 is a whole different beast, but it, when when uh, Finn was up there, it was the old, the black and gold version of NXT. But it's the it's the difference between the people that saw Finn Balor as a star, the people that see him as a mid card. The same people that saw Adam Cole as a main event guy and a guy who should cut his hair and manage Keith Lee. That's the difference in philosophies between the two brands says it all.
1: Yeah, very, very unfortunate. Now, our final topic surrounding Monday Night Raw is something I keep going back to maybe semi-weekly because it's very week to week when it comes to WWE. A couple of weeks ago, I said, you know what, Rhea Ripley... I wanted to turn heel. And now lately, I'm seeing the storyline with Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley and Zelina Vega and Carmella feuding over the Women's Tag Team Championships a division of two women, Lord have mercy and Rhea Ripley losing in under two minutes to Zelina Vega was incredibly disappointing. And it made me think that this is some bullshit of the highest order. And I've got to think somebody is turning heel, but who needs the turn more? Who is frustrated more in this partnership, Rhea Ripley or Nikki Ash? So Steven, who do you think in your mindset should be the one to flip on the other the most who needs a heel turn to kick off 2022 more
2: reading the tea leaves of the feud it's starting to feel like it's going to be Nikki the turns just because they're just having her beaten down so much and humiliated and now she's questioning everything and it just feels like she's going to be the one that snaps on Rhea and then, I, and that's just a guess. So like you said, it's, it's week to week and they could change their mind next week, but that seems to be the direction they're heading on this one is that she's going to be the one that snaps on Rhea because now Rhea, after being annoyed with her and here to basically, this is the exact same story as RK Bro. Really, if you look at it in some way, it's there's the one person who's kind of goofy who. At first, is teeming with someone who finds them annoying and stupid and irritating, and then they grow on them, and then they start to like them, and then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, now I'm going to try to encourage this person. It's the same story, and uh, right now, uh, it looks like this time because Nikki is just losing all these things. Now Rhea is, too. So, week to week, it's really tough to tell. I feel like Nikki might be the one that ends up flipping here. Rhea has a babyface connection with the fans. They seem to really like her. And when they give her something to do, I mean, they stormed the ring when she beat Shayna Baszler in NXT. They went nuts for her uh, in, in some of the matches against Charlotte. Really wanted her to win those. And uh, we're very upset when she didn't, including some of the people on this show right now. So I feel like she has the most baby face potential, excuse me, baby face potential, but it kind of feels like it's going to be Nikki is the one that ends up uh, flipping.
1: All right, Scott. So we've tackled this before and we kind of went on the same wavelength a bit but have your perspective changed as of late as this feud and storyline is very week to week in wwe
0: yeah I, i think i'm leaning more towards uh rhea ripley going ahead and just and just whooping that tail of nikki ash and really just beating the bricks off of her i I the way I, I see it right now, because I, I I think Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair need to get on separate brands. They need to be separated. They need to be kept far apart. So I think you have Rhea Ripley turn heel and Bianca or and and wins the rumble and goes after Becky Lynch and she turns Becky Lynch back babyface because that's where Becky needs to be anyway. And I think. I agree with Steven in that she does have a connection with the fans as far as people just genuinely like Rhea Ripley, but she's such a dominant presence and just person physically that she could easily bully the entire roster and it'd be believable and she's one of the few people who could physically like really bully Becky Lynch around the ring and people be like oh wow Becky could be in trouble you know that's what Shayna Baszler had going for her before they decided to just feed her to Becky and I think Rhea Ripley has that because I could be mistaken I don't think they've faced off yet on the main roster or at period. So I, I don't think that's happened. So I think there's something there. And I think Rhea Ripley beating Becky Lynch, especially as a heel, a dominant heel, would do a lot for her. And then you Bianca can go to SmackDown and go take on Flair and all of them, and you keep them separate. But I think Rhea Ripley has a strong, strong, a real heel run. Not the one she had with Asuka when she came up where they weren't sure if they wanted to turn her, but a real heel run where she's just bullying people, tossing people around, headbutting people, just being real dirty and grimy when she fights. And Not even wrestling, she's fighting these people, so... I think Rhea turns heel against Nikki, whoops that tail, and we build her towards Becky Lynch and turn her back babyface. That's that would be my plan for the
2: next few months for Rhea Ripley. Do you think they want to do that? Do you think they, because the the thing is that, that they really, really need baby faces, especially on the female, well, all across the company, good God, but especially on the female side and especially, and they really need baby faces. This is the one of the very, very few that the crowd actually seems to get into and, and Bianca certainly as well, but uh, on that show and, but there aren't very many, there just aren't very many. So you think they might use her to get Becky back in the in that thing, because Becky seems to be resisting uh, turning babyface because they got her saying all those asinine things, trying to blame the fans and all that crap. But that the, those lines they give her. But she wanted to come back as a heel, probably because the heels are the only people that are booked not to look like morons in that company. So, uh, in, in the interest of not looking like a moron on a national television, I think Becky wanted to be a heel. So, I, you think though that she's ready to flip back, and it's uh, it's uh, Rhea that does it? I think that's.
0: I think she's one of the few people. I think she's the only person. If you turn her heel outside of a Charlotte Flair, that could really turn. You know that 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 would give Becky Lynch the person to really build behind for people to be like, all right, yeah, we can we can really get behind you, because. I I, I agree with you. They do need baby faces. They, they need strong baby faces. And I think that's another reason why you turn Becky Lynch back babyface, because then you could have this monster heel ready to go. Because if you think about it, they don't have a lot of strong heels either. And I, I think maybe that's why Becky Lynch is a heel on the Raw roster, because um, they don't have strong. Like Zelina Vega's not a strong heel. Carmella's not a strong heel. Dewdrop isn't there yet as a top tier heel. So I think they're. I mean, God, I mean, we just nailed it. They they need everything. (laughs) They need top, they need, they just need top tier people. And they don't, outside, Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, that's it on Raw. Liv Morgan, they're trying to build her up. So they have her as a nice baby face, they're building up. But yeah, (sighs) again, we're asking if I think they'll do something logical, and that's that's asking a yeah. lot. But I, I do actually. You know, what? I, I'll, I'll stick my neck out there. I do. I think because I I don't think they want to turn Nikki Ash heel again. I, I think they like the superhero. I think they like the superhero gimmick. I think they like it. So I think they will turn Rhea Ripley heel, um, and I could see her easily going after Becky Lynch because who who else do you have to go after Becky Lynch unless you have Oscar come back? But there's nobody else for Becky Lynch to even go after.
1: All very good points, and I would love a Rhea Ripley heel turn, but Nikki Ash has been downtrodden. She's been very sad lately, and I think that she is the one that has the tendency to snap a little bit more than Rhea Ripley, and I just want Nikki Cross back. I want my batshit crazy Nikki Cross back, my sanity Nikki Cross, because if you let that Nikki Cross versus Rhea Ripley completely loose and free in the ring, they would beat the absolute shit out of each other, and I would love it. So for that alone, I want Nikki Cross to come back. I don't think it's a double dip in name since WWE has released Karrion Cross. So give Nikki, give Nikki Ash back her last name of Cross, please now it's now time to talk about NXT 2.0 and normally we all sigh and say shit we gotta talk about NXT but you know what this week was actually a good show of NXT 2.0 and I mentioned in the Facebook in the Facebook group for Fight Game Media that I thought NXT was better than Monday Night Raw and I cannot say that three months ago before the 2.0 switch and we kicked things off with Cameron Grimes versus Dukatson in a no hose barred match a very fun one Way to kick off the show I thought this was Dukatsin's finest performance yet during some great moves of Cameron Grimes down this stretch including a U-nagi on a steel chair very cool shit but Cameron Grimes wins with the cave-in on said steel chair to Duke Hudson. And now Duke is now a cue ball, completely bald. It seems like he shaved his head like the day before to sell the effects of the shaved head from War Games a couple of weeks ago. But I'm wondering to myself, where do we go from here with Cameron Grimes? A guy has had a couple of good feuds on NXT TV, ranging from LA Knight over the Million Dollar Championship belt to now Duke Hudson. But this dude is too good to be languishing inside feuds over fair belts and hair he needs to be elevated towards the North American championship and or the NXT title or hell even the main roster at this point because I I think that Cameron Grimes has outgrown NXT I think he's got the personality and now the look that Vince wants in order to make a star in some way shape or form so Steven what are your thoughts on possibly the next steps for Cameron Grimes on NXT 2.0
2: I think you nailed it perfectly, Keila. I think he should go after Carmelo Hayes in that North American title. I think they, he might be, and, I, and this is something I wanted to roll out there. Uh, take, take Brock uh, Lesnar out of the equation. He might be the best booked babyface on any of the brands. He never looks stupid. His matches are always very good because he's very talented, but he always outfoxes the heels. He's a step ahead of them every single time, and then he comes through in the end. He wins. He wins his big matches. He beat uh, the he beat uh, L.A. Knight for the million dollar title. He came through against Duke Hudson. He always seems to end up winning those matches. And lo and behold, amazing! If you have a babyface, people believe in. They cheer for him. It's a miracle. WWE really ought to try it out. And you're seeing it with him. He might be the best book babyface in the entire company that's not named Brock Lesnar right now. As far as just classic babyface booking, he's over. The fans love him there, and it's time for that title run, which he hasn't had yet. And I think that Carmelo Hayes is the perfect guy for him. Those matches are going to be excellent. I don't know if Grimes wins it because, like you said, there might be some, some uh, main roster potential in it with him, but I'm looking forward to seeing a series of matches with Carmelo Hayes because I think both guys are very talented. That's where I'm hoping they go with Cameron Grimes next, and I think he's ready for it. I think the fans are ready for it.
1: Absolutely. So, Scott, what do you think is next for Thirst Trap, Cameron Grimes?
0: Hey, <laughs> um, I, I mean, you guys are. I, I can't really add much to that. I like the Carmelo Hayes thing. I, I do want to add. I I like Duke Hudson, man. I think they got something with Duke Hudson. I think he'll be a solid addition to the roster going forward. He's got a good look. Um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Wade Barrett, a little bit, which is kind of weird since he's on commentary. But there's something about him I get the kind of same vibe from. Um, but yeah, I, I think Carm- I even would go a step further. I think Cameron Grimes is, needs to have at least a main event run and go after the NXT title before he gets called up. Um, I, I do like the Carmelo Hayes thing, but I I think he's ready for the main event. I would I would put him against Champa or Braun, especially if you don't want to go like. We, they don't always have to go right back to that same match. So why not have a Cameron, like he's won big matches. Like you would think he would be in line for a title shot or at least a can, you know, a number one contenders type match. So. I'd personally like to see him go after the NXT title. I don't think he'll win it. And I don't think he'll beat Carmelo Hayes because I think they got real big plans for him, too. Um, but he should absolutely be going after titles. There's nothing left for him to do outside of a title feud. And on the main roster, I see him, I could easily see him being an underdog babyface. He could be very similar to how they did Neville when Neville was there, kind of that babyface that would, you know, Always be right below the main event guys and, you know, would look good against them, but would take the L, but beat everybody that was below him. I think he'll fill that role in the main roster real well. Um, as far as NXT, though, he's got to get a main uh, a main event run. I, I'd really like to see him versus Braun Breaker. I think that would be a really fun match to see Cameron Grimes just running around and Braun tossing that dude around. I think they'd
1: have a fun match. That would be incredible. Yeah, Duke
2: Duke Hudson did have a good one by the way that was a good point also I want to give a little bit of a shout out to them absolutely redoing the Buddy Roberts gimmick with the bushy blonde uh, wig and the wrestling hair uh, wrestling headgear thing that is exactly when uh, what they did in world class back in 1983 you can tell that Michael Hayes is with the company because he remembered this they had this cream the silly cream that Michael Hayes would walk around with his prop and he said if he rubbed it in Iceman Parsons hair it would be bald it'll take all it's like nair on steroids this stuff is it's nuclear and they, they built it up and built it up and built it up and in the end parsons got the thing he got the little thing off he took the lid off and he rubbed it all over buddy robert's hair and then buddy came over in this ridiculous yeah, blonde afro wig with a wrestling headgear on world-class tv and they brought it back for duke hudson and i kind of popped for that
1: that wig was spectacular and he tried to keep that thing on his head the entire match he really tried especially in picture in picture but Grimes I think he has a great feature either going after the North American or NXT championship him and Braun Breaker could deliver a classic on 2.0 I firmly believe that and I think that WWE realizes the value they have in Cameron Grimes a guy that can captivate 200 people at a PC every single time he's out there via his promos and his in-ring work so he needs more than fake championship belts and hair feuds he is ready for that next level heading into next year and he could be a money maker on the main roster if the booking holds up now we have a debut to discuss a longer rated debut of harlan and he is joe gacy's heavy and harlan was formerly known as parker Burdo. And he was a big, jacked-up footballer and in Florida, I believe. And he was at the PC for the last year or so. And he has been called the second coming of Brock Lesnar. He was very very talkative on Twitter, very confident in his skills as a potential breakout star in WWE. And I do believe he has some level of charisma to get over. But for some reason, WWE wants to beat the charisma out of you, (laughs) shave your head. They want you to look as menacing and non-charismatic in the most bland way possible, beat a jobber, then throw Spanky down the stairs, Brian Spanky Kendrick, to try to kill him via a jump cut Edit down the flight of stairs. And I Am moderately intrigued by this Harlan character, but I think I'm sensing a bit of Otis for the main roster, a part of the Afro Academy, as his charisma has been completely sucked dry as of late. Guys that I think can really be captivating as baby faces, as badasses, as guys that has presence in the ring. This is a charisma-driven business, and for every reason, WWE is downplaying charisma, and they want Harlan to be a menacing. One note monster. I don't know how long this is going to fly short of him killing Joe Gacy at some point. Scott.
0: So first off, he picked the wrong week due to debut. So that was that was the first mistake they made. Um, there was a little thing uh, they called hook that happened as well. So that was just really, really bad timing to make a debut that looked like that. Secondly, I wonder who's teaching him, you know, about you know his you know facial expressions and stuff, because it seems like he's learning from Von Wagner. I could be wrong on that. That's just a guess based off of his facial expressions that he made during his match, because he definitely was same face, uh, Harlan for that match. Um, The match was not—I mean, it just wasn't good. Like, why? Why? What? That looked like a diva's match. If I'm going to be particularly honest with you, it to me that looked like and not and I I said Divas for a reason because those you know they they would throw the guy or the girl face first against them and you would see their hands hitting and all that. The only reason you know they had their hair covering, this was the same thing to me. This came off to me as a bad Divas match from the early 2000s. And this guy, I'm expecting him to start tossing dudes around, you know, spine busters. Just give me something. And all I got was just him smashing a dude's head against the mat. Not good. Joe Gacy's, I don't like Joe Gacy. They had something with him. He was hyping himself up and doing a fine job of building his own hype on Twitter, getting people to take notice of him. People were taking notice of him. His hair was a standout. People noticed him for his hair. They cut that. Now he just looks like a he looks like a big basham. He looks like a a older basham brother, one of the big ones. I don't even know if you guys remember the bashams, but he looks like one of those guys. And I just it was just not a good debut. And they've already set him back about six paces.
1: Oh, Lord. Steven, what are your thoughts on the debut of Harland on NXT 2.0? I'm not
2: quite as down on it as Scott. I'm not trying to make it sound incredible either. I think it's too early to tell. I mean, that, that squash match was exactly what it was supposed to be, which is like three or four moves and then over with. So they aren't showing much of him quite yet. In fact, the match was just a basically a delivery system to get him to scare all the referees and throw Spanky down the steps. Um, And so really the match was secondary in the first place. It was all about him uh, killing a WWE official and getting him in trouble and have Gacy standing on the step behind him and looking weird and uh, doing that whole strange gimmick. He's basically Dexter Loomis without the comedy. You're just staring, intense look, uh, serial killer type of thing. But uh, I I think it's a little bit too early to tell. I agree that that taking away his charisma, taking away the hair, doing all that, it's a charisma drain. It absolutely is. So it's going to be an uphill struggle for him. Obviously, eventually, this is going to be Frankenstein and his monster. And that the monster is going to turn on Joe Gacy. That's going to come down the road a little bit. And uh, then we'll maybe see a little bit more of what this guy's got. But I think intentionally this was vague as to what this guy can really do. I think they're going to have him do a little bit more each time uh, is my guess. And so we'll see how it goes uh, in the future. But uh, I would like to see more personality. No question. But this character isn't going to give it to us.
1: No. And Paul Heyman has said, on the record that he's got next i really hope he does because i didn't see any of that on tuesday unfortunately i don't think it's any fault of his own but it's just how he's presented as his character that has zero charisma and wwe has to stop that because this is a charisma driven business we have to see their personalities give us a reason to care and harlan was a very 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 blank slate and now it's time to talk about the main event of the show, Braun Breaker versus Cruiserweight Champion, Roger Strong, a really strong main event match. I complete. I continue to be in complete awe of Braun Breaker. I think his 13th to 14th match on TV thus far in three months, including what he's done on the house shows overseas. Just a great match. That Frankensteiner was perfection. Everything about this match was really strong. But it's all about the closing segment. Is Ciampa coming out, hitting the Willow's Bell on Breaker, saying that you won... The battle, but the war is only just begun, and I'm thinking it's New Year's Evil, January 4th on a Tuesday, an NXT Championship match, Breaker versus Champa Part Two, and maybe, just maybe, this is the night that Braun Breaker gets the keys to the NXT Kingdom. Steven, is it time to crown Braun Breaker right before the start of the new year?
2: Boy, it really feels like it is, doesn't it? It it, it really feels like it's headed that way. He looked great in that match and, and Roderick Strong can make somebody look great in that match, but that, I don't think that's what was happening. Roderick Strong was terrific, not knocking Roddy at all. He's, he's a fabulous worker. Braun looks good because Braun's good and Braun has that charisma and that it factor we talked about before. The match showed that he, with a good worker, he still has a, a terrific match. It's just not all him uh, just doing power moves. He's he's fabulous. Uh, and boy, that Frankensteiner does make your mouth water, doesn't it? He, he absolutely drilled that thing. And uh, the Champa thing was, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was good that uh, they're going right to it. Yeah, with this uh, with New Year's evil and uh, it's going to be a tough day. Uh, that's the same day as Tokyo Dome and uh, for New Japan, it's going to be tough to have the best match that day. But it might be uh, the one that we end up remembering more as the as when a uh, when a star is truly uh, born could be his breakout day feels like it's the right time to me.
1: Yes, if he reaches top five, besides what goes down on January 4th at Tokyo Dome, he's done a job well done. So Scott, we're ever so close now to the crowning of Braun Breaker as the king of NXT and his match against Roddy Strong was pretty damn good. Hey, Roderick
0: Strong man I you
1: know that guy
0: is <laughs> that dude just keeps going and going and going and going and at any point in the match he can just pull out any type of like suplex or toss he always always going just at 100 miles per hour I love watching Roderick Strong work um, he's got a physicality to his matches like I I just love watching that guy work. Um, I think he's the perfect guy for all these young guys to be working with, too, just because he'll never run out of gas. So you'll never have to worry about that. But I bet you he's blowing up a few guys in that ring. Uh, But (laughs) Braun Breaker, it's incredible watching him and just knowing – you mentioned 13 matches, and he had a few overseas and house shows. But this guy has had limited you know, matches, and his first match was on national television – and he looked good. He's looked good every time. Like I don't think he's had a bad match, which is very impressive to say for his limited work. And, you know, obviously he's worked with some good people. You know, he's had some some good dancing partners, but it takes two to tango. You know, they're not they're not dancing with broomsticks out there. He's definitely holding his own. Um, he's incredibly athletic. He cuts a good promo. He's got great intensity. He's got great babyface energy and fire. Um, I remember I, I said something at the, you know, when we first, one of the first shows of the rap, I mentioned he would, you know, be a great heel and I do stand by that, but man, I, I he, as a baby face, this is, this is exactly who you look for, man. He's got literally everything you could ask for. Um, I, I do think it's time, but I, I get I'm worried about that because my biggest worry when we crown these new champions because we've seen it we see it with Big E right now we've seen it with Bianca Belair who is being built up for him to face when he does get that crowning moment because as good as the crowning moment is what do you do after that and what's the follow-up nobody's being built up right now as that top tier heel besides Grayson Waller and it's way too soon to feed him nobody's being built up for him to go after next and he needs that he's it's too important for his growth for him not to have somebody waiting in the wings ready to go and I kind of think they should have saved this match for that um, or save Roddy in particular for that because they just don't have the guys over there who have the credibility on 2.0 who can go after Braun when he has that moment so that's my biggest concern is after he does have that big moment, who's up next for him?
1: that is my fear too with every new champion in WWE hit the nail right on the head you can crown him but who's got next who's got the credibility to go against Braun Breaker and that applies to every champion in WWE that is a worry for me as well I hope they got people lined up I really do we spoke about Cameron Grimes maybe you have Carmelo Hayes at the ready one day as well Where is Samoa Joe I would love to have him back at some point just to get Braun over in a big way that. to pass the torch that. that would be fantastic Pete Dunn is also a well-protected guy on this show so you got pieces dare I say Walter might fly through once again maybe he's more tailor me for the main roster but you do get people but it's so important to build them up for Braun Breaker and I hope they think about that early next year because that is going to be the one key to success as the soon-to-be NXT champion if everything goes according to plan and now it is time to talk about <sighs> Scott's best friend his best bestie, Von Wagner, the promo stylings of Von Wagner as he cut the most unconvincing promo <laughs> of 2021. And when he was done talking, he stared. In space, wondering, did I do a good job? And I can (laughs) safely say, hell no. (laughs) You did an absolutely terrible job. And I hate to dunk on you every single week. I hate to be that person, but I still stand by this. You're not ready for TV, with all due respect. He has something, it's not there yet. And if he goes back in the lab, works on it, then maybe one day very soon, he'll be a great wrestler. It's not going to be anytime soon and this promo said everything there needs to be said about what he's not good at and it is practically hardly anything of value on this show so scott this is your boy your best friend your homie please tell me what's up let me tell you what's up with my big dog big daddy v um
0: so you know i talk about who's being built up for Braun breaker here we go (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. This is about to say hey, this is the guy that's while we laughing, this is the guy who's being built up for Braun Breaker. I just answered my own question. And by the way, during his promo, I just would like to say when he was articulating his words, and I say articulating because he had his middle finger and his thumb connected as he was talking, and he was staring off into the distance. And I wanna say he was looking at either cue cards or he had it written on his hand. In, like that little, in the palm, and that's why he had it connected like that so he could see his palm, but nobody else could. He thinks he's slick, but he's not slick. I was in theater class, too. I know all these little tricks and stuff. Um, anyway, but the promo's not good. I genuinely do think Von Wagner, now that I think about it, is being built up to be the next guy. I would not be surprised if he has a big match where he comes out looking dominant again and is the first challenger for Braun Breaker after Braun wins the title.
1: That is the saddest news I've heard all day on this show, besides The Miz being your guilty pleasure. But, but Stephen, maybe you have some hope for Von Wagner. Maybe his promo stylings convinced you he has a future as a Shakespearean actor that went to Juilliard.
2: As a matter of fact, <laughs> if he were more dry and wooden, he would be kindling in my Christmas Yule log. That was
1: wow. I like that.
2: Thank yeah. you. I wrote that I one like earlier that. today i was just like oh, like, oh go, someone give me a pen where's this where's I like that one. give me a post uh no but but yeah i, I mean, it's rotten it's just it's just rotten and you can see him out there during his match counting his steps one two three four uh not working yet I, there's nothing more to add to this it's it's uh like you said staring off into space not quite at the camera when he was supposed to be looking at the camera but not quite uh it's pretty rough boy it's rough.
1: Yes it is And Vaughn We're gonna pull for you Fella Every single week And somehow Like Tuesday You have a match And guess what You're gonna be talked about I can't wait To talk about you again Because you are truly The gift That keeps on giving Over and over And over again but let's talk about Friday Night Smackdown on Fox from Friday Night Live for Rum. I believe they were located at the All-State Arena in Chicago, Illinois. And the main event angle was fantastic. It was Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Brock Lesnar double down in denim and flannel and overalls. I love. Brock Lesnar ponytail flannels, overalls, demon, and all. He's fantastic. But this storyline has taken another twist and turn. As Roman Reigns asks the important questions. Did you know, Paul, that Brock was going to be at SummerSlam? Did you know he was going to be at MSG? Did you know that his suspension would be lifted? Did you know all these things were happening behind my back? And most importantly, Paul, are you my special counsel or are you his advocate? Better yet, Paul. Are you protecting Brock Lesnar from me? And Paul Heyman delivered a performance of a lifetime. He took a big gulp, prayed to the Lord above and said, my tribal chief, I am not protecting Brock Lesnar from you. I'm protecting you from Brock Lesnar. And Jimmy and Jey Uso are the greatest background (laughs) players of all time. They looked and at that moment they said, Paul. You fucked up. So
0: <laughs> great, <laughs> great camera angle. The one time they actually do get a camera angle right, because I'm glad they left it there for a second, so you could see their reactions in the back.
1: It was fantastic. So at that moment, they knew Paul was fucked, and Roman hugged Paul. Says, "Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for 40 years of service to my family." and you're fired motherfucker and maybe not say that last line per se but that's what he really meant and he delivered a superman punch to brock not to brock lesnar but to paul Heyman. paul Heyman is laid out in the ring did not move for the rest of the segment i think he's
2: still and- there <laughs> <laughs> has anyone checked possible-
1: <laughs> he might still be there because he did not move a solitary muscle once he got knocked out. And Jimmy was elated. This dude was jumping up and down. He had all the belts. Jimmy was a low-key MVP because he probably thought to himself, I'm glad it's not me because I've been losing (laughs) matches as of late. My ass might be next. So Roman wants to pull an edge and do a concerto on Paul Heyman. Then we got flannel overall wearing Brock Lesnar coming out there wrecking shop, destroying the Usos and fighting off chair shots against Roman Reigns to beat his ass with not one, but two F5s. The crowd was electric for all of this. This was a masterful story told to sell us on day one i'm already sold i'm amped up for this match now because i do not know what's going to happen next in a couple of weeks time in atlanta so stephen what were your thoughts on this outstanding closing angle to smackdown right before the holidays oh
2: it was brilliant and not only that it didn't wrap up anything i still want to know whose side paul was on the whole time now i know that he's not that he's been fired and all that but we don't know that he's been with Brock. We just know that Roman thinks he's been with Brock. And that could still have a couple of twists and turns before the end of this. And you know that Paul's going to have something to do with the match once they finally do get in the ring together, which I'm definitely looking forward to, because the matches have been good when they've done it, even the ones that the crowd have crapped on. <laughs> the WrestleMania, wasn't a bad match just the crowd wasn't uh, into it. And that's... That, problem has been taken care of the fans cannot wait for this and uh, there's so much more that can come of it with with Heyman and, and with the Usos and he would be adding uh, masochism to his uh, sycophant uh, role if he stayed with uh, Roman after this but it's not impossible that, it's not impossible but he still hasn't gone totally with Brock yet, so I, I'm in. I want to see where this goes. I want to see this match. Uh, I, I just think they've been everything's been great with this.
1: Yes, yeah, since this is our storyline of the year, Scott, what are your thoughts on this outstanding closing segment to SmackDown this past Friday night? I, I mean, it, it was it was fantastic. The crowd
0: ate it up. I mean, they. They popped huge when Brock came out. Brock has, Stephen mentioned it earlier how Brock has this new energy to him. He's got a completely different swag to him too. Like you know before he was the you know the big MMA guy hopping all around and stuff, and now he's just like this this lumberjack coming out with a ponytail. It's it's just a completely different swag to him, and and I love it, and I loved watching. Like, Roman is beating this guy with a chair, and as he's hitting him, Brock's taking the hits, and Brock takes the one hit. And as he gets hit, he pops right back up and pops Roman on his shoulders just in one smooth, clean motion. It was beautiful. Like, they have really good chemistry between them, and I agree with Steven. Like, I don't genuinely think they've had a bad match, as, per se, as far as they've just people just didn't care about the matches. I think their first match was actually really, really good before Seth Rollins cash in. I I think it's a really good match, and the crowd actually does get behind Roman towards the end when he's all busted open and stuff. So I am looking forward to this match. This story's fantastic. Um, Very rarely is WWE able to tell a story where you genuinely don't know what's going to happen, and you're excited about that, because... I don't think they can mess this up, but let me not say that, and I don't have any wood near me, so I'll make sure to hit some before I walk in, you know, before I go to bed tonight, but I I just... I don't see Paul Heyman letting them mess this up. And I think this is, you can tell that WWE is not very involved in this storyline. This is a lot of, you know what I mean? This is a lot of Paul Heyman, Brock Roman, probably just them three sitting in a room and being like, what do we know? What's our plan? What's our goal? What's the, and you know, maybe Vince is there too, but they're like, Hey, you can't touch this story. This is our story. This is our thing. So I think that's very important to it. I, I love it. I I mean what what more can you say? Just fantastic.
1: The fun Brock is having, it makes me happy for him because he's never been this happy in a very long time. I think he was probably happy in twenty twenty, right prior to the pandemic. And I just think that it comes around to the point of Brock is really ecstatic to be a part of a storyline that he can sink his teeth into. He gets to talk and be free and be himself and have a ponytail that WWE would not tell him to cut. Like, I can do whatever I want to do. He's so cool that he even has Sami Zayn in his corner as being a guy that is just awesome to be around and you want them to go moose hunting on peacock all of this is fantastic stuff and day one is going to be a very interesting show because we simply do not know what's going to happen paul Heyman has not clearly stated who he's working for and he might bow down to his tribal chief just in case to say hey i told you the truth but i'm still rolling with you which adds another chapter to this feud as we all know this is an ongoing story heading into wrestlemania in a few months time Next up is Toni Storm scoring a big win over Charlotte Flair, the SmackDown Women's Champion. Now, if you have read the spoilers for the Christmas Eve edition of SmackDown, I'm sorry. My apologies. If you have not savor this moment of tony storm pinning charlotte flair remember it for what it was and i thought that the crossbody from the top rope would have been the perfect finisher cuz those fans bought in and to 2.99 seconds of a pinfall on charlotte flair they continue the match and sometimes it's a drawback because sometimes when you got the first big finish just stick with that and you're good to go but they went with the mist, moon salt, the knees to roll up at the bridge, and Tony Storm wins over Charlotte Flair. So Scott, what are your thoughts on Tony Storm finally getting a victory over Charlotte Flair and not a pie was thrown this week?
0: Well, uh, kudos on the no pies. that's always a good thing. Um, but again, why what was why was Shotzi Blackheart there if not to take the pinfall? Like why wouldn't you have Tony Storm? Hit her finisher, which is one of the best finishers in the game right now. Her eye of the storm, I think it's called the eye of the storm finisher, where she tosses him over and throws him into her neck breaker. That's a sweet move. Why wouldn't you showcase that? Showcase her looking dominant and just have her beat Shotzi, who's obviously just there. And that's on top of, she didn't even get an entrance. She won the match and she didn't even get an entrance. Like, yeah. You just had her in the ring when Sasha made her big entrance, but Tony Time can't get an entrance? Like, I what like what what have they done with her since they called her up they brought her up and turned her into the 80s rocker chick who you know was you know back to the future lost in time so now she's back to her regular time we got the real tony storm back and now she doesn't even get an entrance she's getting pies thrown in her face i haven't seen the spoilers for next week's show so i can't wait to read those and see what that's going to tell me um but i just i don't understand the point of the tag match cuz You do that so the champ doesn't take the loss. Charlotte, I get Charlotte can take the loss and bounce back from it, but it's just the the thing people talk about is the champions losing non-title matches when they just don't need to. There was no reason for Charlotte to take the loss here. Shotzi takes the loss. You put Tony over. You have her hit her finisher. You get the same result with a better out. You get the same outcome with a better result. Let me rephrase that. It just. The champion's taking Ls just is not. It's not the way to go anymore, man. We we can't keep doing that. Especially if you're not going to have her beat Charlotte. If she's not going to beat Charlotte, there's no point in her pinning Charlotte. It doesn't do anything.
2: Well about All that. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, steven So, your thoughts on Tony Storm scoring that win over Charlotte Flair until you read the spoilers for, from for Christmas Eve.
2: For a few minutes, I was terribly excited, but even then, I was still tempered with skepticism. I, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about Bianca. There seems to be a mental block in WWE about daring to let anyone else reach that top level with with them. It just seems like everybody that's not. And and I understand what you mean about them taking losses. Charlotte's lost, Uh, Sasha has lost, but there still seems to be that level. You mentioned she didn't even get an entrance, Tony. I think Tony Storm is one of the 10 best female workers on this planet right now. When she is allowed to be Tony Storm. Watch those matches with Rhea Ripley. Watch her stuff from stardom. It's fantastic. She's a great worker. And they just don't see it in her. And so she gets this thing where she gets her win over uh, Charlotte. And that's to set up the Christmas Eve title match. And so that and that part I'm on board with, you know, you pin the champion in a non-title match to set up the title match. Then you deliver the title match. Lo and behold, they actually did that. So far, so good. So what do they do? Well, stay tuned if you're or don't don't stay tuned if you don't want the spoilers. But Charlotte Beater. Just beat her. There it is. It didn't even get to a pay-per-view. Charlotte just beat her. And I don't know if it's gonna go back and they're gonna have Tony come back at her again. But it loses that steam once the challenger has already lost. Look, they did it with they did it with Liv Morgan. Fans were getting into Liv Morgan. Oh, we can't have that. We gotta have Becky Penner. Heaven forbid somebody gets over as a babyface in this company, and and they they do it again with Tony right here. I was thrilled when Tony pinned Charlotte, cause I thought, oh, maybe they're actually going to do something with this woman who's a fantastic worker and has had some of the better matches in uh, better women's matches or, or any matches really. I mean, her stuff at the NXT uh, UK takeovers with Rhea were, were some of the best matches they had on that show, male or female. It's just that she has the potential to do that, and they won't let it freaking happen
0: especially when they don't have the depth like when they when they don't no, have the, the they, women to fill these spots they need another
2: baby face yeah they need another over baby face they, well they need everything like you said but they need female baby faces that are over they've both tony storm and rhea ripley have now been pinned by zelina vega in less than two minutes in the last couple months are you and i'm gonna say i'm just gonna go ahead and say because Kila does are you fucking getting me
0: it's cr- like it's it's absolutely bonkers that zelina vega is pinning anybody. And, and maybe I mean, yeah. and look, I'm a hater. I'll admit it. I am not. A, I am not a fan of her in the ring. I think she's a great manager, but she shouldn't be yeah. pinning anybody. Dagg on shore, not a beast like Rhea Ripley. And like I agree with you about Tony Storm. I think she's fantastic. She could easily be a t- one of the top couple baby
1: faces. And again, she doesn't have to win the title, but just take care of her. Yeah. Yes, and to know that you have something at Tony Storm and you don't see it, and the reality is this is ultimately going to be a build-up for Sasha Banks versus Charlotte Flair, presumably at WrestleMania, and they have all these stop gaps with a Tony Storm, probably Naomi, probably Xia Lee, and none of them will get over, unfortunately, because you gotta protect Charlotte Flair, but can somebody, somebody please get over on this show, because we need baby faces, we need comparable challengers for these titles, which has been a serious problem across all two well, yeah. Real, really, both Raw and SmackDown for the last few years now, draft be damned. They still don't fix the problem despite a draft. And that is probably the most damning indictment of all. And I love Tony Storm as well, but she didn't win, y'all. She lost. I it was didn't. clean. And, and,
2: you know, we and I'm not knocking Sasha Banks and uh, or Charlotte, but. We've seen that match a bunch of times, and it's going to be a good match. If they do that match arrest WrestleMania, it's going to be good. We have seen it a bunch of times. They've had it in cages. They've had it in Hells and Cells. They've had it in every iteration, and it's it's good. It's time for something fresh. It's time for something different, and you can do that without destroying Sasha Banks at all. You can have other people. I swear, WWE, just listen to me. I promise you, you can have a few other people over at the same time. It can happen. You can do it. Just... You just gotta have them win a couple of times against the big guys. That's how it happens. It can happen.
0: And let's not forget, we're yes. still waiting on Bailey too, and that's another one of the four horsewomen. And you know she's going to feud with one of them, or with the other three. So you know that's coming too. So like you said, who who else, like shots? I, I thought they were going to do something with Shotzi and, and Sasha. Like she's another one they could be doing something with. I, they have the women there.
2: They they got the women. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Liv Morgan's one of them. Uh, Shotzi's definitely one of them. A unique look. Uh, interesting. She's fearless in the ring. And you can do things with these people, but they refuse. It's And, and you, you're exactly right. When Bailey comes back, she's just going to go after one of the other horsewomen. Because the way they portray that is the horsewomen think that the horse, the other horsewomen are the only other ones that matter. And they tell us that they're the only ones that matter. So they're the only ones that matter. They're the only ones that get over
1: yeah. And they're great. But granted, you know, it's time for fresh, fresh blood to hit the scene, to really make a difference. And you got the pieces there. It's not like you don't. You just got to push them, trust them and just go with it. The next gen is right there. And I love the four horse women. I truly do. But there is life beyond these four who have made history in various ways in WWE. And our final SmackDown topic this week is delayed, in- delayed instant gratification and when it goes horribly wrong in WWE in the form of Naomi versus Sonya Deville. A feud I liked in the very beginning because it was heated and Sonya was dodging Naomi every single week, but she keeps dodging and dodging and dodging and we go nowhere. And I see the same matches when Naomi versus Shayna Baszler and Naomi versus Natalia. I want these two to finally have a match perfectly a day one and most importantly I want to know why Sonya Deville has it out for Naomi please tell me what is your beef Sasha Banks has asked you this Naomi's asked you this Adam Pierce says what's up what is the issue what is the reason for your strong dislike for Naomi Sonya Deville please tell me Stephen do you have an answer to any of this
2: what I fear is that WWE hasn't told us because WWE doesn't actually have an answer yet, and uh, I'm not sure they know why that Sonia Deville doesn't like Naomi. Except they said, "Well, we have Naomi. She's healthy again. She can uh, she can work. Great. Put her out there." Why? Well, what do we do? Well, have uh, have her mad because Sonya hasn't put her on in a while. I I'm not sure it's gone deeper than that, and 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 I wonder because they've tread water in this feud. It has been the same angle several weeks in a row. What would be the explanation for Sonia DeVille? Have they even run into each other before? Why would she be pissed at Naomi of all the human beings on Earth? It just... I'm vaguely interested in hearing why, but not too much. I don't think the match is going to be that great once it actually gets in the ring, but maybe they'll prove me wrong. I haven't really seen a great Naomi match, and I don't recall too many great Sonia DeVille matches, so this could be a tough one, but... I do want to see it finally, just so we can move this thing forward and not just tread water over and over again, because it has been the exact same
1: thing week after week. All right, Scott, your thoughts on this never ending feud, even though we still don't know why they're feuding between Naomi and Sonya Deville.
0: I'm sick of it all. I'm sick of Sonya. I'm, I'm sick of Naomi. I just I, I I'm tired of this whole thing. I you know like you said why why is Sonia mad at Naomi? Is you know does does she not like black women? Does she get rejected on a date? What's going on here? Like what's <laughs> what's the what's up with what's up with her beef with Naomi? Like I, when you don't give explanations, people's theories are just gonna run wild. And she's really had a hard on for Naomi for this last couple months, and like to the point where it's like like how how does management let this go on like this is an hr problem like this is this is absolutely <laughs> an hr problem that should be taken care of and this is on national t- like what is adam pierce doing He's he is he is just as guilty as Sonya is. We're just standing around, but the problem is they don't know whether they're good guys or bad guys either, and they change depending on the segment and the show. Um, so, because Adam Pierce, he's a bad guy sometimes too. He has no clue what he's doing anyway, so he's lost. Sonya Deville, try you know she's hard in one minute, then she just hates Naomi the next. I'm just sick of the whole thing. I really don't want to see the match to be honest with you. They've already brought Shayna Baszler down with this and she's another woman who could be a... She eat, She should be a top-tier heel. Or like, already. She should already be established as a, a beast heel just killing people. Uh, but instead, they've got her shoehorned into this. It's just... I just don't like any of this and I'm ready for this to end. And what should have happened was Naomi should have got pissed off and was like, well, you're not going to do nothing. Well, I know who I can go to and talk to to get something done. And she should have just joined the bloodline and she should be the female representation that the bloodline is missing. So if that's not what they're going to do, this whole thing is worthless.
1: I agree. I've been petitioning for Naomi to join the bloodline to be that next level woman on the SmackDown women's division as a champion saying, why can't I run the show too?" the family should all have championships? It's all about the championships. It's all about winning. It's all about loyalty. That would mean something because I bet Sonya won't roll up on Roman with that shit. I guarantee you that you won't have a job, Sonya with your no having excuse ass regarding why you don't like Naomi. I just want to know why. why. Please tell me why. It could be a combination
0: of the two. <laughs> it could be. She could be embarrassed. She embarrassed. That's that's exactly what it is. It's, it's got to be what it is. And You know what? I would love and, to see Roman roll up on her. I'd love to see her talking smack to Naomi and the bloodline just roll up on her and watch her cower away.
1: Yes. She would have nothing to say after that and you know what? I don't need WWE to dip the, their toes too far in that storyline because I know they'll find a way to fuck it up. They have no tact at all. So we're going to leave that alone. <laughs> so with that, our super-sized deluxe edition of The Wrap comes to a close. But before we say goodbye to you guys, we do have one more thing to discuss, that guilty pleasure and that one thing you must avoid at all costs to get you through the rest of your week and, quite frankly, the holiday because this might be the last wrap of the year before we come back just in time for day one in Atlanta yes I'll be back despite the Miz possibly beating edge I'll be here on day one that's happening
0: I'm just I'm trying to prepare you that is happening Miz is beating edge day one that's happening
1: you know what? I have the drinks on standby to talk about that show extensively, as Scott will gloat and gloat and gloat about that victory. But before we get into the future, let's talk about the present, Steven. So what is that one guilty pleasure and that one thing that fans should avoid at all costs this week or possibly the rest of the year?
2: <laughs> well, my guilty pleasure comes from a brief skit that they did on uh, NXT this week, and it is the uh, Briggs and Stratton, or wait, that's Power Tools, Briggs and Jensen, <laughs> Uh <laughs> Who are uh, not quite as intelligent as power tools, apparently, but they are on the show and they went to a music festival with Casey Cantanzaro and Caden Carter. And uh, it, they. this skit uh, did make me laugh in one way is that apparently the characters of Briggs and Stratton have never actually seen women before. And we're fascinated by them, uh, let alone the dancing ones. And uh, just their 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 wide-eyed looks at this uh, music festival uh, did crack me up. And uh, it, that, that was my one little guilty pleasure where I thought, well, all right, they actually did something with those two that uh, didn't make me want to throw my remote through my television. And uh, as far as things to avoid, uh, we mentioned it earlier, uh, Rhea Ripley should not be losing to Zelina Vega. Zelina Vega shouldn't be beating anybody. Rhea Ripley should be the last person she should be beating. Just pretend that didn't happen. Just take that little part of your brain and just flick it out. Just flick it out. Never mind it. Didn't happen. Uh, that's it's like uh, it's like Godfather three. Didn't happen.
1: No, it's erased from my memories, and I choose not to remember that. And I have to give NXT two credit. They remembered that KC and Kaden invited Briggs and Dung or Briggs and Dunn or whoever they are <laughs> to the concert, and they followed up with it this week in the most awkward vignette of the week. But. It, they At least they followed up on it. So, Scott, what is your guilty pleasure and that one thing we should avoid this week? it's <laughs> so, funny is that was my one thing to avoid was that concert <laughs> thing.
0: Because <laughs> I'm watching it like, what is wrong with these guys? Like, what exactly are... Because one of them looked like he was actually having a good... T- I don't know who's who. So, I I don't know which one's Brooke no, Briggs or Jensen, but one I think it's Jensen. I think Jensen's the, the bigger guy. Whichever one's the bigger guy. He was just looking like... Oh, is that dancing? Oh, that's cool. You you dance with girls here? Is this music playing? What are these lights get over here? What am I supposed to do? Like, I I, I don't. Know. It You should. Everyone should check it out and let us know what you think. <laughs> but yeah, it was that was something. My guilty pleasure that was Grayson Waller NXT. Actually, had yeah, my guilty and my avoid. Um, yeah, Grace. I really really enjoyed Grayson Waller a lot. I I think he's finally starting to really figure out ex- just exactly who he's supposed to be and what this character needs to be. Um I I like his promo. I think he's found his voice. I think he's got a good look. I think he plays to that crowd really well. That crowd genuinely hates him. That promo was a lot of fun. So I, the Grayson Waller thing is my guilty pleasure
1: all right my turn now my guilty pleasure this week is harlan throwing spanky down the stairs (laughs) that shit was hilarious first of all i didn't know that was spanky and then they said oh he threw spanky down the stairs i didn't know either i didn't recognize him either no i was like wow i did not know spanky took height like that and fell down those steps the jump cut was hilarious i did laugh at that Mm -hmm. joe gacy did actually he did actually do a good job with is smiling as that dude got yeeted off the steps and was admitted to a local hospital not a local medical facility that is growth for nxt 2.0 to use a hospital and not that other word that is used on the wwe main roster <laughs> and now as for my avoid at all costs you know i was watching smackdown on friday And there was one segment on this show that got on my goddamn nerves. It was Happy Talk with Happy Corbin and Matt Capata Moss. You talk about a lack of heat in terms of good heat. This segment sucked. It was. CM Punk chant inducing. Pat McAfee says they're chanting "We want love," and that was actually a nice recovery to save this drizzling shit segment that was barely saved by Drew McIntyre pulling Excalibur out of the desk. And as I feared, you can't say Excalibur week, on TV. They're on WWE TV anymore. Either, that's for sure. You know, like which Excalibur you're talking about? That exactly. man. On, on Dynamite. No, we don't have the, Or that.
2: We don't know what Excalibur is. Never mind. Never mind. Just.
1: Just call it Angela the sword. (laughs) Just call it that. Call it that. It's an honor of Jew's mother as a way to give homage to her. So we're gonna call it Angela, not Excalibur, because we don't have Excaliburs here. So he picks up the sword. It's a nice way to save this thing, but you can't save it. And my fear is coming true at day 1 it will be Drew McIntyre not even against Happy Corbin but Matt Cat Moss gets a prime spot on the first pay-per-view of 2022 dear god oh, that's, help that's me that's the match the that's the match oh my yes. god Man. yes yes
0: <laughs> oh my god what <laughs> what why would you Ma- do that <laughs>
2: Imagine what Drew McIntyre is saying right
0: now. (laughs) This is what I talked about. I think you brought it up last week and you said, you know, what should we do with Drew since he's not in the title? And this is why I said, just go give that guy the IC title, man. Like, just give him something to do instead of him just like, what? So we are wasting a Drew McIntyre pay-per-view match on Mad Cat Moss. That is unbelievable. Like, why not just have him versus Shinsuke? I just... I don't get it, man. That is ridiculous. That's crazy.
1: Yes. I can't believe it either. They've had some house show matches. They have been pretty good based on the reports I've read. But still Matt had a has a match on pay-per-view against you mcintyre if it's listen if it's even better than what drew was able to pull out of jinder mahal i'll give it a standing ovation i'll believe it when i see it mm-hmm. but that is a low bar to clear we'll see if they're clearing in a couple of weeks time for day one in atlanta and with that this wraps up the longest episode of of the rap ever, ever, but it felt like it flew by. We had a great time talking to you guys about our best moments and worst moments from WWE this year, and running down all the news and headlines from the week that was in WWE as well. I think we might be taking a mini break for Christmas, but we'll be back most likely for the Day One recap on that Sunday, January second, to be recorded, of course, late New Year's night, right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I do want to thank Scott and Stephen for joining me. On this late late night talking about everything WWE how did you survive it I will never know but thank you nonetheless
2: thank you for having me on I'm glad I can get out of this tux <laughs>
0: yes it's always a pleasure uh looking forward to uh the next time we record everyone have a good holiday and uh don't forget again this was this is the first edition of the bonds (laughs) this is fantastic what better way to you know get ready to end the year than to hand out the bonds we handed out bonds tonight we did so we started something
1: Yes, we are the sober equivalent of the Brian and Vinny Christmas show. And we're very happy to provide that alternative for you to get you through your holiday season. So I hope you enjoy this show. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Happy Kwanzaa. All the good holidays in between. Happy New Year to you all. Enjoy your holiday season. We'll be back in early 22 recapping day one in Atlanta for myself, for Scott and for Stephen. Happy New Year almost, and that's a wrap.